Sup, freaks? It's your boy, Marty Bent. Here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt, I sat down with Alex Brammer from Luxor Mining. We had a fucking fascinating conversation. Car shaking his head, giving the thumbs up in the background. I highly recommend you, freaks. Stay for the whole conversation because it was thoroughly engaging for your boy throughout. And I think it will be for you. You're going to learn about geopolitics, Bitcoin, our future, the malaise of humanity at the moment. And while you think that, it was brought to you by our good friends at the motherfucking Gaza. Just getting a, a DM from a freak, a freak named Greg. Great rip with Alex this evening. Loved it. Have a good dinner with your wife and congrats on expanding family. The freaks are liking it already. If you watch the live stream, you like it. Cash App can help you stack sets, send sets, receive sets, and sell sets. If you so please, Cash App makes it easy to do all this. Sats are the standard within the app. We're not talking bits. We're not talking whole Bitcoins. We're talking sats. You bits, bitches. Get out of here, okay? <laughs> Cash App. Sats is the standard. Download the app if you haven't already. Use the code stacking sats. S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S. You're going to get $10. And $10 is going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. Mr. It was also brought to you by our good friends at Unchained Capital. Right down the hall. I don't know how many... Am I going to say this like every Unchained ad now? They're literally right down the hall. I see Unchained people all day. Our oldest sponsor. Good friends. Making incredible products, more importantly. Some of the best in the space. Leveraging Bitcoin's native multi-sig properties in this is very evident in their vault product, which is a two or three multi-sig. You hold two keys. Unchained holds one key. You always have control over your sats within that vault. Uh, however, if you're ever in a pinch, you only have one of your keys and you need somebody to be the second in the two or three multi-sig quorum, Unchained is there to be that second key. Collaborative custody. It's here to help you eliminate single points of failure. If you have all your coins on an exchange, if you have all your coins, you have multiple coins, you're, you're doing well out there. If you have all your sats on an exchange, uh, if you have them all in a single sig wallet, those are single points of failure. Help distribute that risk via an Unchained collaborative custody vault. If you tell Unchained the TFTC sent you and you go engage in a white glove concierge service, you're going to get $50 off the package. And the package includes multiple video conference calls to get you comfortable with the vault, with multi-sig, with Unchained. They're going to send you hardware wallets. They're going to get it all set up. They're going to set up your vault. They're going to dump a thousand cuck bucks worth of sats in it. And you're going to be happy because you know that you're engaged in a collaborative custody model and your sats are secure. Your security model is distributed. It's robust. Unchained providing that. Go check it out. Unchained.com. Check out everything they have going on. This room is also brought to you by our good friends at Brains. 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 Ooh, car. I've actually got to pull up. Uh, we got new Brains ad. Like Brains is the team behind Slush Pool. The oldest uh, Bitcoin mining pool in existence. Uh, they're they're also the team behind Brains OS Plus firmware, which helps you stack more sats with your hash. If you have a mining model that is compatible with Brains and you're not using it, you're leaving sats on the table. And I'm here dragging out this ad read because I'm looking for the latest models, which they added. They had a firmware update to the Brains OS Plus firmware recently. Uh, they released firmware for the Miner S19, S19 Pro, T19, S19 J Pro. For instructions on how to get the firmware, go to Brains, B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com. Click the Brains OS Plus in the top menu, then click Download Now button and select Antminer X19 from the options. Also, be sure to check out the research report on the impact of temperature on X19 efficiency. 
which you can find at the Brains blog. The S19J is coming soon, TM, along with general improvements for all X19 models and extending the support for more control board variations. The What's Minor M20s and M21s are also being upgraded soon, TM, to very soon, TM. Uh, Brains OS Plus runs from an SD card on X19, so it doesn't leave any traces on the hardware if you remove the SD card and therefore won't break the warranty. Very important for you miners out there. All you people who aren't miners, like, what the hell? Like, get into mining and figure it out. If you want to get unique insights on the Bitcoin mining industry, along with updates on Brains OS Plus, Stratum V2, and other Brains projects, check out the Brains blog at brains.com slash blog. Follow the lesser known at brains underscore systems Twitter account where the team is posting deep dive threads on various mining topics. This rip was also brought to you by our good friends at Hoddle 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 is here to bring you a non custodial lending platform. It's a you know, so if you have Bitcoin, you need liquidity and you're comfortable with stable coin liquidity. What you do is you put your Bitcoin up in a two or three multi sig escrow account. On Hoddle Hoddle, you go to lend.hoddlehoddle.com to find this marketplace. You put your Bitcoin in this escrow. Uh, as collateral, you have one key, your counterparty in the, tr- the loan has a key and Hoddle Hoddle has the third key. This is beautiful. You don't have control. You can't move the sats in out of the wallet because I wouldn't make any fucking sense for this loan agreement. However, since you have a key, you have visibility in the wallet, you know your sats aren't moving and being rehypothecated. As long as you're paying back your loan plus the interest associated with it, you're going to get your sats back at the end of that loan. Alternatively, if you have a bunch of stable coins laying around and you want to get yield on those, you can enter the other side of that marketplace. Uh, you put your stable coins up to a Bitcoiner who's using Bitcoin as collateral, looking for liquidity, you give them your stable coins and they pay you back plus interest. It's a beautiful thing. Go check all of it out at lend.hoddlehoddle.com. Last but not least, this rip was also brought to you by good friends at Bitcoin 2022. It's the largest Bitcoin event in the world and it takes place April 6th to the 9th in Miami Beach, Florida. All four days will be jam-packed with exclusive content, exciting announcements, and incredible lineup of Bitcoin speakers, artists, and leaders. Day one is industry day for enterprising Bitcoiners who are looking to build a business or career within the ecosystem. Days two and three are general conference days featuring speakers like El Salvador President Nayib Bukele was promised a big surprise, a big surprise, as well as CEOs like Michael Saylor, Elizabeth Stark, Jack Mallers, Adam Back, and hundreds more, including Marty Bent. CEO TFTC.io. The conference caps off on the fourth day with the world's first and largest Bitcoin music festival, Sound Money Fest, headlined by rapper and fellow Bitcoiner, Logic. Steve Aoki is going to be there. If you like cake thrown in your face, I don't know why you would, but some of you do, you weirdos. Steve Aoki is going to be there and he's famous for throwing cake at people. CL, I don't even know who they are. Run the Jewels, San San Holo, Dead Mouse, who I do know, oldie but a goodie. And many more. Last year's conference sold out, and this year's is on pace to be three times larger. So make sure you grab your tickets before it's too late. Visit b.t slash conference to learn more. Pay in Bitcoin to save and use promo code TFTC for 10% off. And I will see you in Miami. I'll be on stage. Matt will be there. Uh, and we'll both be uh, doing a live rabbit hole recap as well. Again, b.tc slash conference. Use the code TFTC for 10% off. Enjoy this rip. It was a good one. I got to go. Have a lovely dinner with my wife. I love all y'all. Thank you. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that 
In a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Woo, Alex Brammer. What's up, buddy? You've been making your way across Texas. Cheers. What are we drinking here? We got Power and Light Session IPA, ah, out of Texas. I didn't read the uh, the logo after you handed these to me. You said these were apropos for this conversation. Power and Light. We're about to talk about Bitcoin mining. That makes a lot of sense. Yes, we are. A lot of power. You just came from a spot with a massive the amount spot. of power. Where this tells you're in Texas. You're representing Luxor Luxor, Mining. Yep. Uh, You're down here. What what the hell are you doing down here? We are doing a road show across Texas, looking for power and light. Looking for power and light, baby. That's what we're doing. We're looking at substations. Just came from a just came from an interesting meeting with some electrical consultants, and uh, the news wasn't great. So we're drinking power and light beer now. (laughs) Well, uh, if you don't mind me asking, why wasn't the news that great? Too expensive. Apparently refurbishing fucked up substations is expensive. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the things in the mining world are expensive. Yes. The, the ASICs, the, the, if you're in off-grid mining, the generators, if you're on-grid mining, the substations, the transformers that take that power. And it's, uh, capital intensive, I think, is the operative word there. Yeah, it's very capital intensive. Yeah, but it's also fun intensive as well. So that's why we do it. It's intellectually stimulating to say the very least. I'm sure we'll get into that, but yeah, it's probably my favorite part about it. <laughs> how did you get into that? Let's, let's learn a little bit more about you. First. Yeah. I mean, Boy, how, how, uh, how long is this rip going to be? We're getting as long as it needs to be. You got to go to the Texas blockchain. <clears throat> yeah, I can be late though. Okay. What time does that start? I don't know. Five, I think maybe. All right. Lee will be, Lee will be mad at me. Lee, Lee, congrats <laughs> on starting the blockchain, uh, Texas blockchain. That's right. Congrats, Lee. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, how did I get into Bitcoin? Actually, that's funny. I was, I was uh, thinking about this this morning and I was kind of trying to think of a way of, um, tying this in that, that would make sense. Cause you don't think of 15 years in the military as being the, you know, the, the normal on-ramp, uh, into this. So I kind of, I learned about it in 2011 when I was a cadet at, uh, West Point and, uh, you know, it's kind of funny internet money, et cetera. And started looking, you know, I started reading a little bit about it. I was like, this is kind of cool. About six months later, there was a kid that was down at the Naval Academy. He was going into subs, nuclear subs. And uh, they require like uh, top security clearance, polygraph, all that stuff. When he was applying for his uh, security clearance, he got denied because he owned Bitcoin. Oh, lovely. Yeah. And that'll kind of, this is going to be a recurring theme. Uh, at that time, so I came from the special operations community before West Point uh, and, you know, had security clearances and all that stuff and was planning to go back. And so I was like, well, I can't touch that stuff. And I had no, you know, no one knew at that point what it was going to be. Kind of dropped it for five years, got back from my last deployment to Iraq in 2017. Uh, I was back, I was in an Uber driving back from the airport. My Uber driver was fucking around on his phone. I wasn't really worried about the, the fucking around on the phone, but I was curious what he was doing. And, uh, I asked him, he's like, Oh, I'm mining, I'm mining Bitcoin. It was cloud mining, ah. but I didn't know that at the time. I'm like, okay, cool. So I was like looking at it and he was telling me about it and, um, went back home and immediately just dropped my bags and started, I was like, okay, I got to see what's up with this now. Like, where's it been? And this was kind of right 
early run up uh, of that bull run, that like bull April, cycle. May. Yep. And uh, so was like, okay, there's something, there's, there's something here. Immediately realized that what he was doing was a scam. I actually messaged him on the Uber app and was like, Hey man, like you, like be careful. Like, don't do what you're doing right now. I, I don't, I have no idea if you're listening, Uber guy, I hope you're all right. Um, and then, so that's when I started kind of buying into it, casually investing. I was still in the military. I was still, uh, you know, I was going to be in the military for like four or five years. So I was just buying into it, bought into, bought all the way up to the top. Everyone was kind of, you know, how jubilant your first, your first bull cycle is. And yes, you're thinking yes. like, yes, we're, you know, just, I'm going to retire soon. This is going to be great. Um, it, it, you know, obviously goes into its correction, goes into the bear market. I kind of forget about it. Other things, you know, I'm, I'm getting married, I'm moving. I'm, uh, so I end up going into command, uh, back in 2020, um, or no, I go into command in 2019 and then figure out, okay, it's time to retire. And we can, there's, there's, uh, you know, we can talk about that if you want, but, um, this was in, so March, 2020 happens mm -hmm. and my eyes got opened up again for a variety of reasons this time, not just because of, well, that was price depreciation, but as we started to kind of run up over the summer of 2020, looking at all the macro stuff. Um, and I was like, there's something fucking wrong here. And at the same time, Bitcoin was, you know, starting its slow march upwards. And I was like, wait a minute, I think I still have some of that <laughs> sitting in a hot wallet on Binance, just chilling there. Uh, and, uh, CZ yeah, kept it safe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> thanks buddy. Appreciate you. And, um, yeah, so I just started going, I started properly diving down the rabbit hole. I don't think that I, uh, I, I, you know, it was purely speculative in 2017 and 2020. Um, it became much more educational, much more deliberate and did the whole thing. By the way, I, I dabbled in all the shit coins in, in yeah, 2017, you know, did. no, yeah. I didn't in 2017. I no, yours the, the was the previous, right? Yeah. Um, you know, kind of realized pretty quickly that it's Bitcoin. And then as I started to really understand what mining was, my, my, um, approach to mining was through the lens of security, right? Like it's very, it made a lot of sense. You know, I spent, uh, the better part of my adult life defending one monetary network, um, in their security forces. And so it kind of was just this like romantic, you know, transition into the security forces of a new, uh, you know, a new monetary network. And so I was kind of, you know, I was getting interested in it and, but at the same time, I'm like, well, what the fuck am I going to do when I grow up? Like, is it going to be consulting, investment banking, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and all that just sounded trash as I was like figuring out what goes into each one of those things. Like the transition for a military officer getting out, especially um, for as long as I'd been in, like I joined the military when I was 18. Like I, you know, I, I yeah, was went to West Point, seven so. years away from having a fully formed frontal lobe uh, before I, you know, when I was in uniform. Uh, and so I was just trying to figure out like, what is it in the world that I'm going to do? And simultaneous to me doing all this research on all these other industries, I'm also doing the deep dive, uh, you know, down the rabbit hole. And one morning I'm kind of stressing out and my girlfriend just looks at me and she's like, dude, just shut the fuck up and get into crypto. She's like, <laughs> go and go into the big, like try and get a job in Bitcoin. And that was like a light bulb moment. I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, that's actually like, I can do that. That's actually feasible. Um, and that's kind of when I just started reaching out, putting feelers out. And I DM'd, uh, I DM'd Nick on Twitter and was like, Hey the man, hash bender. Yeah. The, the hash bender himself. And he actually, and to his credit, like it was kind of just a total long shot. And I was just like, Hey man, it would be great. 
So I like deep stalked him on LinkedIn. Like, you know, you do when you're trying to, you know, you're trying to do all the research and get the angles. And I figured out that he raced motocross. I grew up racing motocross. Oh, boss. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, hey man, we go, we, we come from a similar background. Like we raced in the same, uh, like regional league and all that. And, um, I was like, I would love to just have a conversation with you. And the reason I, I got linked up with them is because there was what I now know to be a wildly erroneous Bitcoin magazine article on like the Bitcoin mining landscape of North America. Luxor was the mining company in Seattle, which is just their corporate headquarters. I mean, I think she just did like a document pull from somewhere and found their, uh, their, their corporate documents. Yes. I remember this article. And, um, but it, but it led me to Nick and led me to Luxor. And it was kind of a firestorm like week of, of interviews. I talked to Nick for like two hours the first time. And then I talked to Ethan and then the rest of the team, uh, you know, Goose and Eddie and, uh, yeah. Hell yeah. The rest is history. That is a, that is a hell of a story. I didn't realize you were, I don't want to say that green, that fresh, but I didn't realize that. Cause oh, you, dude, I'm like, yeah, less be, than a year. Before we continue, I want to make sure the freaks can see your beautiful face. Let's adjust your mic. So it's like, so it's uh it's not like uh I would just pull right, it the down. Table. Yeah, okay. Clark, are you can you help yeah, me with yeah. it? I got this. I know Car's how to work these it. little knobs. There we go. There we go. Boom. That's Love better. That. Now I gotta tighten this one. Got it? We got Car's arm on camera now. Uh, are the freaks streaming you sats right now? Is that uh, are we, are uh, not podcasting two point Not they will be if you if you some of them listening to this are in the future. Right now we're just live <laughs> on YouTube. They can't do it yet on YouTube, but it, there oh, are it hasn't people, been integrated. No, not yet. But there are people working on it. There, yeah, it's perfect. Okay. Um, Thanks, man. Yeah, it's uh, people will be streaming sets though to this episode. If, thank you for streaming sets if you are at home. Yes, I really appreciate it. If you're listening on the Fountainet, Sphinx, Breeze, wherever we we contribute the value in the, in the future. I actually, just talked with the Fountain team today, uh, or excuse me, yesterday with Oscar. Oscar, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm doing the wall thing in the background. They'll be able to do per episode splits. So moving forward, if we could have. Uh, me, yourself and myself could have coordinated before the episode and once I upload it I can go into the fountain app and we can do a, an episode split you give me a, your lightning network address and Dude. freaks can stream sats to you as well for providing value so to this cool. episode so right. I have a I have a, a pricing model that I kind of concocted in a <laughs> in a Turkish bathhouse in Chicago Boss. and it was and I think I like for me uh, podcasting is the way that I learned about, like, it's, it's the primary kind of educational mechanism for me that enabled me to get into the industry, right? Like all the stuff that the only reason that I was able to be conversational, uh, enough to even be considered by Nick and Ethan was because of podcasts for the most part, just, you know, reading and, and all that. But I think if you, if you're thinking about like, how much do I stream? How much, you know, how do I price this? Like, I think there's a way of actually figuring that out, especially for, I feel like a lot of people getting into crypto right now, most of their learning is coming from, um, is coming from podcasts, getting into Bitcoin. Let me just clarify that. Yeah, but, you could say crypto, that's whatever. But it does, it's, uh, you know, and there's a way like, you know, you basically take the amount of podcasts that you listen to over the year and you divide those into your salary. And then that gives you like your top line of what those are probably worth. And there's a little bit of fudging there, but then you kind of back off of that. And it's like, cool, I want to give 5% of my salary to all the content producers that, have enabled this. Like I've been a, I've been a TFTC rabbit hole recap from like day one. Boss, it was, thank it's, you. it's been, it's been dope, man. You put out, uh, you know, 
you put out some good stuff. Thank you. Trying, trying to, uh, it's that's cause that's the way I learned. That's the way getting into it. My foray into Bitcoin content was like YouTube, like world crypto network, shout out Vortex, uh, Theo, uh, the mad Bitcoiner, all the, all those people. I mean, obviously Andreas, it was, it was mm, funny. I yep. fell down. God, uh, do you freaks remember David Seaman? Probably not. So like they're, Rogan back in the day, he had Andreas on in like 2013, 2014. Then he had this this psycho David Seaman uh, that used to go on a show as well. And he he was, uh, after a few uh, few months of like listening, I was like, all right, I mean, this guy's a little crazy, but like, that's- I thought that, I, about, I thought that about you a couple months into. Yeah, so. yeah. You and, you and Matt. <laughs> well, Matt, Matt does not like Marty Jones. He does not like when Marty Jones comes out. And I'm, I'm trying to, it's like, I feel like Bruce Banner trying to keep the Hulk in. Just, you just gotta let him, you gotta let your freak flag fly. You gotta let it rip. Man. You gotta yeah. let it rip. Yeah. I let it rip last night uh, in the bent with the IMF coming out mm. against El Salvador. Mm -hmm. It's interesting seeing all saw these, that. seeing all these uh, sleuths in the, international supranational banking industry come out and that's i think that in particular the imf coming out and telling el salvador you need to yep your people can use bitcoin but you need to rip the legal tender law out uh is a big tell and is a sign that oh, we're, yeah. Yeah. we're over we're, the target we're winning will. dude we're winning it's <laughs> when you start getting the imf scared the world economic forum these people um yeah i wholeheartedly agree yeah i mean What's your perspective on all, all this coming from the army, particularly? I didn't even realize you were in the army until you just sat down here. To oh yeah, your story. My my uh, yeah, my formative years. Um, yeah, my my perspective. Uh, the TLDR is that we are um, at an inflection point that is basically driven by the collapse of uh, all of the institutional structures that kind of have been um, providing the framework for every every level of order, the geopolitical order, um, you know, national, social, and political orders on the, on down. A lot of it is tied to money. I'm a bit, you know, I know that he's a little bit controversial, but I'm a uh, big Ray Dalio fan. I think that he thinks really interestingly about, um, you know, his kind of long-term debt cycle, uh, you know, his geopolitical order cycle, his internal order cycle. I think that he thinks very, um, intelligently about those things. And a lot of that is derivative of, so I, uh, I joined in 05. Uh, I went straight to the range regiment and then did three back-to-back -back deployments during the surge, uh, 06, 08 with the range regiment got done. So that's like kind of, uh, that's fighting Al Qaeda and basically it's doing, um, like special operations, counterterrorism targeting in, uh, against what was then Al Qaeda in Iraq. Um, and these are like the Salafi jihadists that were that were trying to it, that was it essentially unleashed by us invading. Love your stuff. I mean, you tweet every once in a while and, and put out some stuff about uh, kind of the illegitimacy of um, you know the way the U.S. government is structured right now, asking people to go off and fight wars for it and whatnot, and that resonates. Left there. Well, you looked like you had something to say. What's up? Well, I was like, what's going on right now? Like, yeah, you man. have all the fucking neoconservatives out trying to beat the drum wars to get us to go. Yeah, they're, they're getting the band back together. Um, yeah. Fucked, man. Yeah, yeah. So I get, so I did that, got out, uh, got out of that track. So I was enlisted then, got the opportunity to go to West Point, um, did undergrad in econ. Uh, I'm a reformed Keynesian. <laughs> and uh, got out. So I, 
I uh, had the opportunity to do a couple of years of grad school after West Point. So I moved over to the UK, uh, did a master's and a PhD and uh, essentially my PhD is in political science and it's about institutional legitimacy. Looking at Iraq, so the case study was kind of how did we succeed and fail in, in rebuilding um, in rebuilding institutional legitimacy after we had toppled their government and kind of tried to install someone new. This was all happening uh, right after ISIS rose up in 2014. Well, these motherfuckers were the same guys that I was fighting in 06 to 08. And I was, I was like, I think in hindsight, understandably kind of messed up about that. And so I just took uh, and decided to write a PhD on it. That experience. And then <laughs> this is, it's actually kind of funny when you verbalize it. Uh, so I got back into the army, went back into the infantry, went to the 82nd airborne and went and fought ISIS. Um, Shit. so this was the battle of Mosul in the spring. Yeah. This is the spring of 17, right? Cause I got back from that deployment and then I discovered, you know, I rediscovered Bitcoin. Um, and I was, as I was, I left when I, I was left Belfast, uh, where I did my PhD, I left like all but dissertation. So I'm writing up my chapters in my off time while I'm on deployment, fighting in the country that I'm writing a PhD on wildly, uh, the cognitive dissonance was, was strong with this one. I'll, I'll put it that way. And it, it all kind of made me pretty cynical um, and it kind of opened my eyes up. Whose cognitive dissonance? Your, Mine. Yours. My cognitive dissonance. Like it's a fucking weird thing to be, you know, launching tow missiles at, uh, you know, hospitals that are occupied by ISIS by day. And then you go back at night and you're writing about like, well, we're protecting the population and we're doing this and that. And like, this is how we, it's like, it's pretty crazy. Um, my, you know, so that kind of colors my perspective. And I also look at things from the perspective of, a, of institutional legitimacy. And we're seeing a, a, a degradation of trust in all of the primary institutions that have allowed us to function as a society over, you know, the last couple of decades. And so this is, uh, you know, we invade Iraq under false, uh, you know, under false pretenses. Um, we have a you know, wild amount of moral hazard in the banking industry that causes a financial collapse that has fundamentally affected all of us. Like, you know, I'm 22 years old paying my parents mortgage because they had the fucking rug pulled out from under them. Um, you know, it's fucked. Yeah. And so that's, that's the, uh, you know, I'm looking at all that. And then we have this whole, we have the debacle of the way that we withdrew from Iraq caused the rise of ISIS. Uh, this whole thing with Afghanistan, my heart goes out. So I, you know, I've never been to Afghanistan. My heart goes out to Afghan veterans. I got a bunch of buddies that are fucked up about it. You know, the, the statistic of 22 veterans killing themselves every day is like a real, uh, you know, that's a real thing that nobody wants to talk about. Nope. No one wants to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've got the drug epidemic. We've got the opioid ep epidemic. Um, you know, we've got a, a, a largely dysfunctional, um, you know, largely dysfunctional government apparatus is not providing basic services and basic, um, you know, quality of life and the things that we need to subsist as a, as a functioning structured society. You know, we're seeing this like, dude, this is like kind of not even related, but man, like there was a fucking arsonist in my neighborhood last, like I live in Tacoma, Washington and an arsonist was running around setting nine homes on fire and they all burned to the ground. What? Yeah, man. Like we're watching cops getting killed. We're watching crime rates go through the roof. Uh, you know, the whole nine yards. Like it's, it's just so, yeah. My, what's my perspective on this? I think that we need uh, a reset and, and Bitcoin is the first thing. 
when I really grokked it, Bitcoin is the first thing that's made me optimistic about things since probably 2015. Well, thank you for your service, number one. <laughs> number two, I want to dive into like this political illegitimacy. Like it, again, with Iraq, Syria, Libya. Oh my, yeah, dude. Yes, Libya. My, oh my understanding. Well, my understanding is just like again, yeah, it's like indicative why I I came into Bitcoin purely from the economic standpoint, studying monetary economics, working at a fund trading currency market, so yep. looking at Fed minutes and being like, eh, this doesn't really make sense to me. Like, like it doesn't seem like we should have markets trading off the color of Janet Yellen's jacket in a given <laughs> FOMC meeting. And from what I understand with Iraq, Syria, Libya, it is just hubris of again, like nation building, thinking they can go in and, and take out a leader or restrict that leader from doing things. And then you had that power vacuum, right? Like Saddam Hussein, not the best guy in the world, would never even try to pretend that, but it is hard not to admit that he had a good uh, way of tempering the- He knew how to play the, the tribes against the one Sunni another. versus yeah. Shia, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Oh, dude. So you're 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 like a little bit into the yeah. I mean the Sunni Shia schism, like that the civil war that erupted. Yeah. Anyway, I don't mean to interrupt your train of thought, but yeah. No, it was just like we thought like oh we'll like take Saddam Hussein out and like everything will be fine. But it's like no, you don't realize there's generations worth of mm -hmm. intricacies between these tribes that viscerally hate each other at a religious level because they think the descendants of Muhammad are different. Mm -hmm. Yep. And they and they've also been the society has been structured in such a way for decades that everyone is kind of like, yeah, it's like suboptimal and there's a whole bunch of human rights abuses, but it is not a cauldron of, uh, you know, it's not a vacuum of control. It, you know, it, it is structured. Um, no one argues with you and that, you know, no one's going to argue with you if you say Saddam was a bad dude. Right. Um, but was it a smart thing for us to just go? It wasn't just Saddam either. It was the whole bath party. Mm -hmm. uh, like we basically took, uh, you know, a couple hundred thousand armed men and made them unemployed. Uh, but we left all of the hundreds of thousands of firearms that existed around the, around the country completely free and open. Um, and so we essentially created an insurgency when we invaded in March of 2003. Uh, that came, you know, that, that, uh, came to be, I guess, early in 2004. And then it ended up devolving to the point where by the time I got over there, I mean, it was, uh, you know, it's a good example of, you know, it's like defund the fucking police. Like, what do you think is going to happen? What do you think is going to happen? So there's probably a good thing. I only got six of these things. Cause you get me on a roll. <laughs> well, we've got a whole fridge down the hall. <laughs> we can, we can get into it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean it's uh it, it's it's hubris is what it is. It, it's it's uh it's American arrogance that was um that was uh derivative of our kind of stunning victory in Desert Storm. Uh we're kind of sitting at the apogee of American power in uh the the early 90s. You know, you start seeing things like NATO expansion in the late 90s uh under Clinton, which is kind of fundamentally what's driving what we're seeing right now with with Putin and, and what we have been seeing over the last few years. Um, and the idea that we could go in and we could, uh, at the drop of a hat, understand, uh, you know, a culture that has a rich history that goes back millennia and redesign yeah. it and install, you know, Western liberal democracy and, and think that, uh, you know, that elections equal political legitimacy. 
It's indicative of the hubris that we're seeing across all of the different verticals of U.S. They have ink on their finger. Democracy. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're, they're good to go. Yeah, they're good. We we voted. We won. This is this is L. Paul Bremer, man. God love him. It's yeah, and it doesn't seem like there's been much introspection at that high level. Obviously, as no. American citizens, there's many of us who are like, all right, what the fuck? Like, let's yeah, let's not do yeah. this anymore. Yeah, no, I think I think the. It's very understandable the frustration that people are feeling and and they may not be able to articulate it as such, right? Like they may not be able to kind of the normal person that is working his ass off or her ass off every day trying to make ends meet in a, in, a, in an economy where, you know, our, our financial energy is bleeding out at the rate of 10 to 20 percent, uh, you know, per annum, according to some estimates. And it's probably much more depending on what type of vector of inflation you want to talk about. They don't have the time to be reading foreign affairs articles and digging into, you know, Fed minutes and digging into kind of policy, uh, you know, policy papers and white papers. They're just like, man, there's something wrong. There's something broken. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to point to the first thing that's going to try, you know, that makes me think it's going to fix it, whether that's closing borders, opening borders, funding the police, defunding the police. But like all this turbulence that we're feeling right now is a, is a uh, you know, a set of symptoms of. Uh, you know, decaying institutions and 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 severely degraded legitimacy, which is essentially just support for, you know, the governance regime that's over you. And it's not surprising. I hope we're at the end of it. It feels like we're at an inflection. I mean, just look at what's going like as somebody who served a lot of time in the army, what do you think of today's commander in chief? Does he <laughs> does he invoke confidence? You know what's so cool? <laughs> for my uh for my entire adult life, the commander in chief was in my chain of command and I wasn't able to say what I think about him, but I think Biden's a fucking idiot. Oh, I'm happy that you're able to get that out. Well, like, good. not only he's he's always been consistently an idiot. You just go look at the videos of him in the past. He's yeah. always been a racist. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, dude. Well, and also Harris too. Like <laughs> yeah. Uh, her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kamala Harris too, yeah. or Kam- Kamala yeah. Harris, crime policies but- and in- incarceration policy and stuff like that. I'm not. I don't, I'm honestly, it's been liberating for me. I don't really pay attention to the details of it anymore. Like I used to be like reading and all the, all the, all the podcasts I was listening to are like national security stuff and politics stuff. And I'm not like embroiled in it anymore because I, you know, I've just left the system and I'm trying to build a new one. That's the most exciting part about it is like, we have the opportunity to build a new system and we're doing it. And you seem invigorated by it. I fucking love it. You're down here in Texas going to check out power stations and substations. Yes. Yes, I love it. I've never been, uh, I've never been happier from political philosophy to energy. Yep. How did you make, like, how did you, uh, so you told the story of how you reached out to Nick and got to Luxor. Did you want to get into mining specifically or like, I'll just do whatever? Uh, no, it was mining. I knew I'm not, a, I'm not, and Nick and Nick and uh, Nick and the boys will laugh at this one, but I'm not a tech guy. Like <laughs> I don't write code. I don't, it's not my thing. And it's not that I don't, you know, I have unbelievable amounts. I could sit and, li- I could sit and listen to Nick talk about, um, you know, the, the tech stack that runs mining pools forever. I would never <laughs> fully understand it. Like I know it enough. I know it enough to be dangerous now. Um, but on his level, like he's one of the smartest people I've ever met. And I, I don't have unbelievable respect for him. I am not someone that's going to learn, like teach myself Python. I'm not going to, you know, it's just, I'm not going to be value add at a place, um, you know, that is doing like, it, like I'm, I'm not going to be value add in like any layer two applications, right? Because if I'm working, I can, you know, I could do sales or something like that, but it's just not, not something I'm going to be good at. Mining, like I said, you know, part of it, it was the philosophical stuff of like, I really, I really um, kind of deeply identify with this idea that mining is protecting the, you know, 
protecting this network that we all believe is so valuable and is going to be incredibly, uh, you know, not just valuable from a monetary perspective, but valuable from like a, a societal organization perspective. And the other part of it is, is it allows me to play with real things in the meat space. Yes. That's the most fun part about it. Yep. So it's like stuff in ASICs, it's going to substations, it's like, you know, getting gaga eyed about, um, you know, <laughs> about learning it. Like I was going through like the anatomy of a substation and like how, you know, we're talking about rewinding transformers and, and, you know, all, that, that stuff fires me up. The concept of a step down transformer, like taking a certain voltage and calibrating yep. it down so that your, yep. your PDU can handle it. And yep. it's, there's yep. so much nuance that goes into it. And it, it really makes you appreciate this, this, yes. this electricity that we have. Yes. It's like, there's so much work. And from an engineering and coordination perspective, before all of this happens, that's, the vast majority of people are completely clueless about. Yeah, yeah. You probably should understand. Uh, Harry Siddick uh, turned me on to the book Grid and fantastic book. Uh, Shocker that are, the guy at Grid likes the book Grid. Yep, yep. It, and it's fitting, but for the freaks out there that want to understand how precarious of a position we are in uh, from a national grid perspective, the three interconnects, uh, you know, West, ERCOT, and East, and how that is such a critical vulnerability. I mean, we talk about it now almost like a trope, but you know, the idea that energy consumption is highly correlated with human flourishing. I mean, it's your kind of tagline. I, th I think that's going to be on your headstone. It's going to be <laughs> like, and if it's not, I'm going to like stencil it on. Literally, was, I'll probably die before you given my life habits. But uh, so I've got pretty bad habits too. But literally <laughs> I was telling you the, like I was, we were putting up a, a clip from a cathedral episode from last week. And it was literally that like energy abundance, mm -hmm. like, uh, it, it, and, and yeah, I added sound money to it. Sound money and energy abundance lead to human flourishing. That yes. was a clip I just put up. So people are watching it out on Twitter. Yes. And we're... that's, that's, um, you know, that's something that I like, what I think that Bitcoin mining is going to do for uh, grid resiliency and grid stability is it, it's why I care so much about power and infrastructure. Like the it's, it's, um, you know, it's a passion project. You talk to guys on Wall Street and everything's about the bottom line. And and I have a lot of respect for guys that work on Wall Street. They're incredibly intelligent and they are the capital allocators that are allowing us to do all these things. Because when you're talking about $100, $200 million investments, you got to have some people that are savvy with capital, but you also have to pe have the people that are kind of the ideologues that... Um, like deeply believe in this shit and want to sit in the back of a fucking mini Nissan for 10 hours. Between <laughs> that's, that is, uh, that's, you know, that's why this, that's why this space fires me up more. I, I, I don't, I will never, I will never work in anything that is not um, at least adjacent to power markets and energy infrastructure again. Well, let's get into why you think Bitcoin specifically is going to help this, this vulnerable grid again, that most people are unaware of. We have a we have an imbalance right now between load and generation, um, and it's only getting worse because we are adding on highly intermittent renewables um, at a pace that is not with current battery technology or any type of energy energy storage technology is not keeping pace with the fact with the rate that we are decommissioning. Um, you know, peaker plants, basically like base, base generation assets. And demand that's continually and rising. Demand that is, <laughs> yes. And demand that is continually rising. And, you know, the idea that we can take, uh, you know, we can take this asset class that uh, by the nature of its technology can monetize energy regardless of where it's found, but particularly on grid. So I get like the off grid stuff for mining pure is awesome. That's, 
not not what I'm most interested in because I'm interested in the health of the grid. And so these grid connected miners um, that allow for that allow to monetize first the the building of new generation assets and second allow for grid stabilization. So basically. The reason I'm so fascinated by Texas is because I think ERCOT has the most nuanced set of demand response programs that you can participate in. It's a beautiful thing. They got a free market on their energy system down here. Yeah. And it's, and, it, and not, not only that, but it's incredibly lucrative. Like yeah. if you do it right. Um, I mean, you know, we found that out last February. Yeah. Like the fact, yeah. When, when energy went to $9,000 a megawatt hour, if you start to do the math, like right now, I believe... Uh, yesterday I was looking at it and I think it's like 113 bucks a megawatt that we're mining right now. I know hash price is a little bit compressed. Uh, but so anything above that, if you're trying to sell power, if, if, if the market rate, the real time market goes above $113 a megawatt hour right now, you shut off and you sell back into the grid and you are making more than you would make mining Bitcoin. $9,000 a megawatt hour is what they were, yeah. is, what they, is what the market went to. And I think that's the cap. I think that's the regulatory cap from ERCOT. Like, I think it probably would have gone above that, but they capped it at 9,000. Like 9, we're good. Okay. We're good. You know, th these guys are going to have a heyday. I think that, yeah, the, the, the numbers of people that were participating in that were crazy. Well, this is something I, I want to dive deep with you on because obviously you've probably seen my Twitter. You've probably seen my newsletter. I think- Once or twice the political risk of on-grid is high to very high moving forward, not because I don't think it makes sense. I think it makes a lot of sense. I just think people don't understand the nuance yep. of it. They say, oh, Bitcoin miners are are turning off and selling us electricity for $9,000 a megawatt hour. Like they're, they're gouging us and not understanding that that electricity will not be available in the first place if the, uh, the buyer of that electricity was there to keep that, static load so that they could shut down and then deliver that to market when it's needed. So that's what I think of as an industry. I don't think, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that the political risk is too high, that miners are going to get kicked off the grid. We've seen it in places, obviously we've seen Hydro-Quebec, we've seen it in Washington state, yep. we've seen Iran, yep. Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan even, threatening um, to do it in Russia. Yeah. Russia was having great issues a couple months back. Yeah. Yep. So, so it's like, how do we educate the markets about the opportunity here? Like, all right, if we overbuild the capacity, Miners can come in and take the excess energy. When things hit the fan, we need electricity. It'll shut down and sell it. Yep. And we need to make it clear to the people that, yes, you may have to pay higher electricity prices, but you're going to have electricity. It's better than not being able to pay for nothing. Well, and it's also just the the level of nuance that you have to get into to understand truly how Bitcoin miners interact with um, energy markets and the grid is not memeable. I mean, this is like, <laughs> right. it's not, you can't, you can't, you can't distill it, into, it. No, you can't distill it into um, something that makes sense. And it's just such a, it's such like a, an easy, um, although false, but an easy leap to make that, okay, Bitcoin miners, I know that they're bad for the environment and they consume a lot of energy. We're having grid stability issues, which they were like, we're having power issues. Definitely Bitcoin miners' faults, and that's this—that's the level of analysis that most people are going into. It's—it's it's heartening to me that we have policymakers and politicians that are that are uh, getting wise to this. Um, it's a little bit disconcerting to me the level of uh, that that we are politicizing Bitcoin in in a in a way that I don't think is that I don't think is healthy. Although, so I guess to answer your to your to your question, this is a question of education. 
Um, we need to have smart people. We need to have savvy people that are going and we're and educating the decision makers who will then turn around and educate their constituencies. Right. And so, um, you know, there's a, there's a cool group that just got formed, uh, you know, Jimmy song, Amanda Cavallari and crew, mm -hmm. uh, stood up Bitcoin today coalition. I should have brought the book. I could have put it. They wrote it right down the street dude, from here, right down there in like seven days, man. Yeah. It was such a cool thing. And like those guys and gals are doing the Lord's work. Um, that way. Whichever way it is, they're doing the Lord's work uh, one way or another. Amanda's in town, by the way. I think she'll be at the at the meetup tonight. Um, but that's what I think the answer is, is we have to figure out ways of simplistically un explaining to people, first of all, how how uh, vulnerable we are right now from a grid perspective. How, like, and if you frame it in, in ways that people care about, like imagine what rolling blackouts and brownouts do to ICUs. Yeah, well... Before we even get to like how vulnerable we are, the grid perspective, like we need to really drive home to people how fucking important energy is, yes, electricity yes. is. Like the the narrative, I love you. You do a really good job of framing um, uh, or or of highlighting the kind of idiocy that we are for probably the first time in human history trying to advocate to use less energy. What like at what point? In our, in our civilizational history, have we actually taken a step change down in energy consumption and been better off for it? There's a reason they're called the dark ages. Like that is, that is not where we want to be going. <laughs> no. And so it's like this idea. And, and the other, the other part about this as well, for the, for the ESG folks, um, the Bitcoin mining is going to accelerate and help monetize the transition to renewable energy infrastructure that is going to be high capacity factor and reliable it's going to probably monetize battery uh, innovation if we really think about it. Imagine battery innovation, generator innovation. But yep. that, that's the thing; these people don't care. Like if they care, they'd like nuclear, nuclear, nuclear. Yes, natural gas yes. too. They they villainize natural gas. Natural gas, the proliferation of natural gas due to the shale revolution over the last fifteen years has been the greatest driver of carbon emission reduction. Yes. In human history. And it's going to be the bridge. We need nat gas. Eventually, we're going to go to a fully renewable infrastructure. It's going to happen. Well, uh, let's get, what is renewable? Let's say. Ah, good question. And also we should talk about, okay, let's get into the, the rabbit hole of like the philosophy of wrecks and wrecks and offsets as well. Um, what is renewable, right? So I guess like the better way of saying it is like very low carbon or very, you know, zero to is carbon bad? zero. That's another question. This one, this one, I actually think that you and I disagree on. Like I, yeah. I am, I am, um, and the freaks are, you know, sorry guys, but not everybody, not all the yeah. freaks agree with me either. I, I do. I do kind of buy, like I live in Washington. Um, I think the Pacific Northwest is being, uh, is going through, uh, the, the climate is changing. Like I sat in my house, I, I live in a house that was built in 1904. It's, it's got, um, it's not a very energy efficient home. Mm -hmm. It also has no HVAC or air conditioning. And I sat in that house for like 10 days last summer with my dogs uh, just dying of heat because it was 110 degrees in the motherfucking Pacific Northwest. That's weird. All, all that's to say, I don't want to dive down the climate change uh, rabbit hole. We don't have to. But but I do think that my my position is I do think that carbon is uh, not a great thing to be flaring into, you know, or, or in methane. Like I love, I love what you guys we're doing it. Gam, I love all the off-grid. I, I love the flared invented gas capture stuff because like, you know, methane being 25 times worse for, uh, you know, in terms of greenhouse gas effects, like 30 to that's 50 real. times in some cases too. And it's, yeah. And it, well, and I've, and I've heard up to 80. 
the, that stuff, uh, you know, I do, um, I do believe in that, but regardless, renewable energy, meaning energy that has zero marginal cost, right? Like there's no inputs to it other than things that are free. So wind, sun, nuclear is actually an interesting thing. It's got a lot of, it's got a lot of inputs, but it is very clean. And uh, contrary to all the people that watched Chernobyl and freaked out, very safe. There's a reason why Fukushima happened uh, and it's not because nuclear energy is dangerous. Well, most importantly too, energy dense, right? Yes. Uranium is extremely energy dense. (laughs) And yep. that's my problem with wind and solar mainly too, is they're not energy dense at all. Yeah, that's true. Like, yeah. Uh, the loss of like via transmission is so large compared to like nuclear and that gas. And right? just the intermittency, like they're not, um, yeah, no, I, I'm with you on that. I mean, I, but I think like, so, so think about the incentives for miners, right? If I could talk, if I could plug into a wind farm that's got a hundred megawatts at like a 27 to 40, whatever percent capacity factor, that doesn't help me much right now because I can't thermal cycle my ASICs every day and I'm not, it's not economically viable to be turned off, you know, for, for, uh, you know, 60 to 80% of the time. Now imagine if I could invest in, you know, some very, uh, well capitalized Bitcoin miner has access to a wind farm and could also invest in kind of the cutting edge of battery technology. Bitcoin could potentially monetize the rapid acceleration of battery technology such that we could make, despite the fact they're not energy dense, which is a very valid and all the carbon that comes from producing wind turbines and photovoltaics, like the coal, I love Steve Barber's, like their coal panels, like dude, hundred <laughs> percent. And, and what's funny too. So all the people that are like, uh, you know, Kumbaya, the whole, the whole world, um, has got to do this. We've just offshored all of our photovoltaic production to China, which is just getting destroyed by it. We're reaping all the benefits, but yeah. And, there's, uh, you just made, reminded me, we shared a video on RHR. You may have seen it with this dude, Mike Umbro. Mike, if you're listening, we met at the Digital Wildcatter event a couple months ago here in Dripping Springs. I'd love to have you on the show, but he's an oil producer in California and he has this great two minute rant where he's just like, hey, like I understand that you guys like want to clean up the environment and you're trying to malign the oil industry and punish oil producers in California to do so, but and you're restricting production within the state. However, demand for oil is only rising. Like Californians are still using more oil, whether or not you're letting them produce it in state and by not allowing it to be produced in state where it's some of the cleanest production in yep. the world. And the highest regulatory standards. <laughs> yeah, you're yep. exporting that production overseas where it then gets exported much dirtier, or excuse me, produced much dirtier. Much dirtier. And then uh, imported into California uh, over tank vessels, which have a significantly higher probability of polluting the ocean. Yep. If you were just producing it cleanly in California, running it through a pipeline, uh, much cleaner, much less possibility for uh, catastrophe, if yep. you will. And it's like nobody wants to have these. Like everybody, oh yeah, we. No, because it's we, too nuanced. We, it's not. It's too hard to understand. We we cut production in California. We did a good job, but we're still consuming more oil. And you know what? It's dirtier oil. Yes, it's quote unquote dirtier. It's, yep. On a grams of carbon per kilowatt hour produced, it is far dirtier. The way that we were done. I agree. Yeah, it's, yep. 
<sighs> and that, and that's the thing, like, I'm not a, you know, a, I'm not a climate change maximalist. Like I, we need fossil fuels for the coming decades to bridge us over to where, but this is where I was going with the zero marginal cost. Eventually it's just going to make economic sense. Like we're going to have the technology. It's just going to make economic sense to have re fully renewables. I agree. We're not there. We're not anywhere close to being there. And the fact that we're shutting down oil production domestically, first of all, it's exposing us to energy markets and geopolitical un un, you know, uncertainty and instability around the world. But it's also just kind of net, it's like a net negative in terms of, the purpose of these policies, which is to help, you know, reduce carbon emissions globally. We're actually, I think you bring up a great point. I think Mike also, I think I've listened to him on something. Wasn't he on like some kind of energy? Maybe talk energy. Um, yeah. Max yeah, yeah. 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 That was what it was, but yeah. he did. Yeah. He had a, he had like, I remember the rant where he's like, look, we have a regulatory regime in California that is unmatched anywhere else in the world. It is the cleanest way to extract and utilize fossil fuels. And yet we're going to offshore this thing to Nigeria, which I suspect you know, or wherever, I suspect it does not have the same regulatory <laughs> regime. They, they offshore it to the Amazon where they're cutting down like <laughs> the rainforest at, to, at a, to drill for thousands oil. Of, yes, man. <laughs> at, well, yeah, yeah. It's, it's insane. We're in a clown world. We'd be we really do. <laughs> well, that's the thing. So talking about like layers, like what you talk about first, like energy production or the electricity delivery below that is critical thinking skills. Like we live in a world <laughs> where people don't know how to think anymore. They don't know how to learn. They don't know how to yeah. think through first, second, third order effects. And yeah. That's what like people think I'm like some anti-environment. It's like, no, like I maybe I have a very harsh posture because it's like, no, you need to think about these things. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I think we should get to a world where we're able to produce electricity without polluting yep. our environment. Yep. I am an environmentalist. I, I am a surfer. I hate dirty yeah, beaches. Yeah, that's forget. Yeah. I hurt. I hate. I am that dude on the beach who's running up to people who litter and be like, pick that the fuck up. Yep. And on my way off the beach back path, I'm picking up all the pieces of trash and throwing them out because I care about my beach. I care about my environment. I care about yep. the environment that I'm living in. However, this stupid hypnotic trance that humanity has been thrust into because of this, this thought that you just need to, if you just transition quickly uh, to quote unquote renewables, that like everything's going to be hunky dory. Yep. It's just like, no, you think through this stuff, please. It's like, also an interesting kind of continuation of hubris um, that, that prompts uh, that prompts us to jump in two feet first into things that we know nothing about that are ultimately going to have significantly adverse consequences. If we keep decommissioning peaker plants, if we keep, if we keep decommissioning fossil fuel generation assets, nuclear, like the, fa the fact that we are decommissioning nuclear generation assets on our grid is uh, truly astonishing. I think Germany just announced they're going to go, they're doing away with the last three of them or it was three or six. Germany in the last 20 years decommissioned their, close to getting to all of their nuclear power plants and their average cost of electricity per kilowatt hour has gone from something like four cents to 38 cents. And guess who controls all of that energy? <laughs> Russia. Like why do you think they're lining up troops at the Ukrainian border right yeah. now? And that's, and that's where I think like this again, um, unfortunately, you know, we, th this is why like, you know, I'm definitely at, at Luxor. I am definitely kind of like, the the toxic maximalist energy guy but i'm bad and, and like the ideologue right like you know ethan sometimes looks at me and he's just like hey ethan what? you shut up okay <laughs> 
I'm fucked. Ethan. Cheers, Ethan. Here's the here's to me just continuing to bang the infrastructure drum. Ethan and I are good friends. Oh, I know, I know. Uh, no, he's he's awesome. But it is funny because you know this is very much like this is very much an ideological uh, thing for me. And I just we're we're making the same mistakes that we've made over and over in other um, you know in other aspects of kind of American and Western civilization. And we're going to rush headlong into this thing and think that the answer to solve climate change is to shut off all fossil fuel generation assets. And we're going to plunge ourselves into, um, you know, the, the, the knock-on effects are almost immeasurable if we do something like Especially that. Especially when you think about like the scale of humanity and how many people, there's billions of people. We're not like in this, the billions of people only came in like the last century and a half. Yep. And if we've never seen a scale of potential yeah. friction with this many people. And well, the, the, and that's the other thing too. Like the, the thing that people are not, um, they, they do not have, and this is where I really like the way that Dalio thinks like in living memory, they do not have a memory of, uh, the disastrous consequences of civil conflict. Um, if we go into a scenario where we go into like large scale energy, um, scarcity and shortages, the, the knock-on effects are going to be manifold. They're going to affect supply chains. They're going to affect everything. They're going to affect the, the ability for people to earn money. It's going to, you know, and then when people lack basic, uh, you know, basic services, right? Like the city doesn't provide sewer and water. Uh, we don't have generate, you know, we don't have electrical generation on the grid. Uh, we don't have healthcare that is adequate. Um, people get violent. And they will find reasons. There's a reason why we are playing identity politics right now. And it's because we are going through a period of prolonged economic malaise um, that that allows these things to bubble up. Then they attach to their in-group. Those in-groups draw battle lines. And this is what we've seen, um, you know, for, you know, since Thucydides. So basically forever. And it's not a hard thing. To, it's not a, it's not a hard uh, roadmap to go down. It's very predictable. Once you understand. It is extremely predictable. Yes. <laughs> and so we should be doing everything we possibly can. I mean, for, for those of you freaks who have been into, um, you know, into conflict zones, you know what I'm talking about? For those of you who haven't, it's not a fucking fun place. And I will do anything in my power to avoid going back there. And I will do anything in my power to avoid my kids having to live through something like that. And I think that you know, it's, it may sound a little bit hyperbolic, you know, these fucking Bitcoiners are sitting in Austin talking about like saving the world through this digital money. It, I really do. You know, if you, if you believe in it, like we believe in it, um, you know, this is the thing that helps us to pull out of this, but we just, but it's not the only thing like the Bitcoin fixes this narrative, I think is a little bit flawed because I think the assumption from some people can be like, Oh, just Bitcoin price appreciation has to happen and it fixes everything. No. Everything that is going to be, everything that Bitcoin touches, there's ancillaries there uh, that also have to be cultivated and protected. This is why I love the fact, I mean, one one major threat vector to, to Bitcoin to kind of jump around a little bit here is if it becomes a partisan issue. So like everything that the, the Bitcoin Today Coalition is doing, I mean, shout out to Jimmy Song and Amanda Cavallari for uh, really kind of taking ownership over this idea that... Um, we have to educate people and we have to make this a nonpartisan issue. This is super partisan. This is, uh, above, um, you know, this is above the squabbling of the, of the, you know, the swamp, whatever we want to call it. <laughs> um, you know, it's a, so, uh, I'm going to say this, I'm going to speak it into existence, but, uh, we, Amanda and I were talking last night. I think we want to start doing, uh, S nines for politicians Ooh. and basically just donating S nines, like send them to the staffers, send them to whoever, 
dude, unplug your dryer, plug in your S9, play around with it, do little classes. Uh, and as soon as they like start to see it for me, for me, like one of the kind of, whoa, aha moments was, you know, I'm sitting there, um, and I'm, I like hear like, it was cool. Like going to my first mind and I'm like hearing everything. I'm like, holy shit, Ooh. this is like, this is energy. But then you like, you put your hand on the backside of a fan it's of a miner that's well, it's, well, it's idling. And then you connect it to a stratum and it gets hot. That is wild. It, Max Gagliardi did a, did a, a video at one of the Great American Mining sites uh, earlier last year. And it was crazy. He did like a selfie, like going into the container and he got, he caught it at an angle where the light was blowing into the container in a way where you could see like the heat mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. the back of the miners. Mm -hmm. You could hear it like, it looks like a jet propulsion engine yep. almost. Yep. Like, you see the, you see the like air kind of, I don't even know, shimmering or bubbling or whatever it is, but yeah, no, it's, and no, it's like a hot day when you look at the asphalt and it's like waving yep. over. It's uh, And like, imagine, and it, that's like a visceral experience. Like I think that a lot of the, a lot of, you know, we are increasingly living in this digital world where we are not able to bring to bear our full uh, sensory, our, our suite of sensory tools, right? Like taste, you know, sight, smell, all of that stuff. Um, when you feel it, when you hear it, when you see it, it becomes much more real. And it also like, when you start to see sats accumulating in your pool account, you start to see transactions going out to your wallet. I mean, I think if we could put an S9 in every, in every 535 members of Congress uh, in their offices and have them and their staffs play with them, it would be, I think, pretty profoundly impactful for like, okay, cool. I think that, I think I, you know, some of them I think would get it. I, I would hope so. At the way they're priced right now, wouldn't cost. Where are they right much. now? Like 400 like, bucks? No, no. I think like two, two, 250. 250. Yeah. Fluctuate, huh? Yeah, we're down to like, I forget we're down at 36,000. I'm running like 50,000 Bitcoin in my head. <laughs> I know. Well, yeah, when you start, so that's when I knew I had turned a corner because I don't check. Like I was in a meeting the other day and they're like, yeah, you know, we're at 36,000 Bitcoin. And I was like, we are? When did this, when did this happen? <laughs> 36,000 Bitcoin and all time high difficulty. It's, uh, yeah, for it's minor, a, it's a little, it's a little kick in the, yeah, it's a little kick in the junk right now. But no, I mean, I think that like, to get back to the, to get back to the kind of origin of the thread, um, that's what we need to do. We need to educate. We need to start, we need to go to, I mean, this is Amanda's strategy is she goes to the staffers, right? She like influences the back office who then have the ear and the trust of the principal. Um, I mean, this is like, I don't really want to say the word, but I, I studied counterinsurgency, uh, in my doctorate. And so, um, you know, no, I mean, it's it's similar to the idea that Bitcoiners need to espouse propaganda as well. Like everybody views propaganda as, uh, as, as, a, as a negative. As a bad thing. Number go up. Uh, well, we would Bitcoin call fixes that, this. This is all propaganda as well. But Yeah, we would call that, there's a better way. We should start calling it uh, information operations. Yes. It's a better, it's a less loaded term, yes. same outcome. Propaganda, you go back to like Nazi Germany. Yeah, like, no, but we are, no. but we are leading, we are, we have to shape the narrative um, and we have to structure the actual operations of what we're doing, which is helping to build out the resiliency of the grid. But we have to, you know, it's basically just prepping the battlefield with information prior to, so that we have primed people to be seeing things in a certain way. Um, and honestly, like you call it what you want, but the evidence is on our side. Yeah. I mean, it's undeniable. Again, it's true. It's a truth machine. Like yes. Saifedean, I don't think it'll ever be topped with his line in the Bitcoin standard. Like 
The Bitcoin ledger is the only objective truth we have in society right now. That's a really, the, the idea, the breakdown of the existence of an objective truth that we can all agree on, I think is a major driver of what we're, and it's an outgrowth of the social media environment that we live in. Um, it, it, but, but it is, a, well, and it's also an outgrowth of the fact that like we have lost trust in any institution, science, uh, you know, all of it. Um, the fact that we have a, a, an indelible, immutable ledger that, uh, you know, is untamperable with by human psyches is something that I think that we don't talk about enough. Um, and it's, and it's funny, like I remember reading that line uh, that Saifedean wrote and I was just like, yes, like this is the Oracle that we need. Yeah. We cannot trust, we can't trust human individuals anymore. And we, and even if we could, people aren't going to, because they have proven themselves time and again over the last 30, 40 years to not be trustworthy. And so we've been given this gift of, uh, you know, a programmatic, basically a programmatic truth machine for us to base reality off of. We can base time off of it. We can base balances off of it. Um, you know, it's beautiful. Coordination, history, you even want to use open time stamps to stamp something <laughs> yes, into. Yes. Um, like this thing happened. Uh, yeah. 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 It's, yeah. People don't, I, I, what we're getting at now, people don't understand the gravity of this. Like the fact that, and Carr, you were, when we did the episode with Justin uh, Roderick, like what I like, the way I view Bitcoin is just like this pillar of light in the middle of of like a town square yes. that anybody can anchor into and yes. like know that it is it is real it is it's stabilizing stable yes yes it's stabilizing i mean for me it's like it's like psychologically stabilizing like this is it's not a it's not a it's not a coincidence that um you know we're at all-time highs for suicide depression anxiety all this stuff right obesity like, obe diabetes uh, yes like all that stuff and we and we're living in an era that unless it's so funny, I'm on TFTC saying shit like this, but unless you're a fucking Bitcoiner, you are lost right now, but it's true. Um, you know, I say that it's hyperbolic, but it is, uh, you know, it is something that has helped me to kind of see the world in a different way and has, and has given me a level of stability, um, just cognitive stability that I was lacking. I, I mean, same. I was very angry. I still am angry. Yeah. And so yeah. I think Marty Jones comes out every once in a while. But like when I was, I'm a big fan. 18, By the way, if Matt Odell's listening, I'm a big fan of Marty Jones. <laughs> Just, I disagree. You heard it here, Matt. Yeah. Uh, 18, 19, 20, 21, yeah. Before I found Bitcoin, I was angry. I was like, "Why the fuck yeah. do we live in this unfair, unequal society? Yeah. Why do these like? Because again, you probably heard this story on this podcast, but I love saying it again, and again. I read the tarp bill at 17 and I was like, what the fuck? I'm, I'm being told my dad's in finance. He's telling me like, everything's going to shit. And you read the tarp bill and you're like, everything's going to shit. And all these politicians and special interests are caring about like the, whether or not like arrows in Kansas can be <laughs> constructed a certain way. I'm like what the fuck is going? Like, yeah, it is yeah. completely insane. And it's like, what's cool though, is that we can get, so I still have that like seething anger inside of me um, that I, when I when I see these things, like my my girlfriend who I love dearly and is the most supportive person in the world, will give me shit because it's like something like something very innocuous um, will come up, and I will like connect the dots immediately to like the fundamental source of why that is like an indicator for some kind of like deep you know deep malaise in society. 
And I just get triggered a lot because I'm just like, this is like, what, dude, have you seen the movie uh, Don't Look Up? <laughs> yeah, I had to stop watching. Ooh, man. Like halfway like, through, I was yeah. like, I can't do it anymore. Yeah, man. So like, I, like I, I totally identify with you being just pissed off. Um, but at the same time, put me in a Bitcoin mine, uh, you know, take me out to a substation. I don't care how fucked up it is. Like, I love that. And it makes, it's deeply, deeply satisfying. The conversations I have on a day-to-day basis, like, I wake up in the morning and for, you know, my job at Luxor is to basically go out and meet people, talk about the pool, sell the pool, do whatever, find new opportunities, find, you know, find new ways for, for Luxor to grow and continue to influence the space. It's the most exciting thing of my life. And it makes me really happy when I'm doing it, when I'm not doing it. And I'm looking at like, you know, my neighborhood getting set on fire, then I get pissed off. But well, why are we excited about doing this? Because it's like, oh, we can actually just go gulch, gulch, actually work on this, have Mm -hmm. an impact in this parallel system that is only growing in strength and growing in recognizability and popularity and stability and all that. And again, as a 17-year-old sitting at a desk in high school learning about TARP, I was like, I felt helpless. Occupy Wall Street. I was like, oh, is it going to be good? No. (laughs) Get out as a Cuddy Park. Like, you hippies. Uh, After that, nothing. I mean- Bitcoin was around then, but I didn't know it. And, and it wasn't, it wasn't, what it is you know, today. the force that it is today. And I, yeah. and I think like one of the things that we lack in this world uh, is agency, right? Like it feels like all these problems are so diffuse and so big and so complex. That like, how am I going to contribute to, uh, you know, a solution to these things? There's a variety of ways. Like there's a lot of good people doing a lot of really good things in a lot of diverse areas. And I have a lot of respect for, you know, all the people that have taken it as their purpose to improve the world, regardless of what vertical you're in, I respect you. This just so happened, you know, the military was that for me when I was younger, um, you know, and I think I got like addicted to that purpose, right? Like in 06, 07, 08, like that was fighting for freedom. Like the belief was we are fighting for freedom. You're going over there, you're doing a good thing. You're protecting Iraqis, whatever, you you know, all that. I quickly became disillusioned of that, you know, once I started to, to peel the onion back. And then I felt this like incredible void. Um, and it's, and coming, you know, when I said Bitcoin is the first thing that's helped me to feel hope in a while, um, you know, from a, from a social level, uh, it's because I think that there, there is a possibility that we get out of this. And now, you know, through dumb luck and a Twitter message, I get to be part of, you know, building it. That is incredibly exciting for me. And so that, that kind of gets me up in the morning and fires me up despite the fact that, um, you know, CNN is alerting me that. <laughs> Brian, fat, that fat pussy, Brian Stelter is telling you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean. For me, it's very similar. I if I did not DM Lewis Roberts, who was working at Barstool at the time, this podcast wouldn't exist. Yeah, man. And I this w- has been this is this podcast. Uh, yeah, you're doing the Lord's work, man. Uh, I, I hope you can cut this out, but I got I got to pee. No, you go pee. Yes. I'll right. come here. <laughs> I'll come here. We'll go on the break car. Um, you go pee. Go down the hall. I'll think. I'll I'll think of some filler. And then, yeah. I'll think of some filler. Don't worry, freaks. <laughs> <laughs> for, good, for good luck, you, freaks. I'll make it for quick. all you live freaks out there. Um, I like how you said go to the car. And I'm like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> Story for you, freaks. I don't want to blow them up. I got, I got, I got blown off by Glenn Greenwald this morning. Uh, car, what? Car and I, what? we we showed up uh, very early. Obviously, we had a scheduled 
podcast for 8 a.m. Just hoping it was a miscommunication. Yeah, it totally has to be. Let's hope he's okay, right? Yes, let's hope he's okay. I hope he's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a Do you have a mic? You gonna hop on here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Car, what do you think of this conversation so far? Check, 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 check. I can't hear you. Yeah, let me let me grab this one here. Sorry, we're still figuring things out here. What I what I what do I have to say about power and light session IPA? I haven't drank IPAs in a while. Can you hear me now? Yes, I can hear you. Um, man, you guys are packing so much fucking info in here, bro. It's like Alex came in here fucking just swinging and you guys are just like so much fucking signal and mining in everything, man. And it's just like astounding how great it is to hear all, all this, Marty. Like you guys are just like, it's, it's only been an hour and three minutes and I feel like you guys touched on every fucking topic. It's like a tight ass. It's like a tight ass RHR, but it's a tight ass fucking TFTC podcast right now. It's like tight. It's real. Well, you know what it is uh, for you freaks out there. Alex and I, we were texting, we telegram messaged each other last night, like 1030. He was like, I'm going to be in town. You want to record? I was like, yeah, I'd love to record. Luxor, obviously making a lot of moves. Uh, good friends with Nick, uh, Ethan. Uh, Goose, we need to get you on the podcast at some point. We've had Nick, Ethan, now Alex, you're, you're next. But uh, honestly, was not aware of Alex's military background. And this is something I'm obviously very passionate about. It's like, what the fuck is going on with the world? So it's like getting to talk. And that's something I haven't talked about in quite a while. And we're just rehashing the conversation as Alex walks back in after relieving himself. Oh, it feels uh, so much better. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I, haven't, I, haven't, I haven't scratched this geopolitical itch uh let's scratch it man my favorite thing it's again talking about we don't have to go completely over again but talking about the power vacuum after you go in and you you nation build it's like you really again the hubris of not understanding the the layers and layers and layers that led to the the relative stability in these areas to the order yeah and it's yeah, I mean it's it and it's you see it. Um what's what's really interesting, like I'm a guy that's gotta I've gotta, you know, touch something and feel something for me to really kind of deeply understand it. And so I think that a lot of people read about civil conflict and they read about um con- conflict in general, but but civil conflict and what we would call deeply divided societies is a brutal brutal thing it rips families apart um like i went so as i was doing my uh as i was doing my doctorate on iraq i chose to move up to belfast um and go to queen there's a university up there called queen's university belfast the reason i did that is because i wanted to live somewhere like i couldn't i couldn't move to baghdad nor would i want to but as i was writing this thing about civil conflict and deeply divided societies and you know institutional i wanted to live in a place that was like terrifyingly um, you know, terrifyingly divided and it's, it is, uh, you know, you see it and you see how easily you can fall into it. You see how easily human, like we're balanced on we're a very- We're seeing it right now here in the United States we with are. COVID. Like, we are, yeah. Black Lives Matter with whatever- the culture wars. Yes, yeah. whatever it may yep. be. Like, and it's, and it's, we, we are very uh, precariously balanced on, um, you know, this, this beam of stability when you fall off, like gradually, then suddenly it takes on a whole new meaning. And, um, 
you know, when shit goes down and it gets really violent, it gets violent really quickly. Um, and it gets really violent. Yes. Yeah. And so that, yeah, I mean, you know, if we can, if we can do anything to kind of, to, to reverse um, the tendency that we are kind of taking away the support pillars of a stable society, I, I want to be a part of that. I do as well. And that's again, so we were talking about the Bitcoin fixes this meme, like that, that is where the meme comes from. It's not like Bitcoin doesn't literally fix us. If you get shot, Bitcoin's not going to fix your bullet wound. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't fix everything, but like, it sets the conditions for it sets these the conditions things. for you not to the to reduce the likelihood that you get in a physical altercation where you get shot because everybody uh, is able to be productive and yeah. not trying to go steal something for. Yep. Well, they feel safe. Security, yeah. like to to feel. What is so frustrating to me about the whole defund the police narrative and the fact that we don't need law enforcement in our societies is that security is the bedrock of everything else. If you don't feel secure, there's nothing. Um, everything else crumbles. And, uh, you know, to, to the extent that we can wrap our minds around the fact that we have to provide these basic services to people um, and, and potentially, you know, find ways of funding those basic services. I mean, right now, like our debt burden and our, and our burn rate and the fact like if we allow interest rates to rise to where they would be in a normal free market, we're done. Yeah. And so if we can move away from that, um, I think we're all for the better. Yeah. And there's a tendency too in modern day United States where everybody wants to throw the baby out with the bar. Yeah. Uh, that's it's like a cab, all cops are bad. Like yep. defund the police, but it's like, all right, I understand you. Like there, it is blatantly obvious that there is something wrong with 100%. many police departments. 100%. They, are quick to pull the trigger. They're, a lot of them are very aggressive, low IQ. All right, like we don't need to, to fund all the police. Like, hey, maybe let's think about training. Did you watch the Jocko episode with Joe Rogan? No. It had to be like mm -hmm. six months ago. But he, like how many hours of training do you do before you go into battle? Like at the military? Like how? Uh, thousands. And what? Uh, hundreds. Well, cops go, but you're- Oh yeah, I see the comparison. You're continuously- Yes. You're continuously. And you're continuously training. Dude, we're on yeah. deployment and we're training while we're on deployment. Like yeah. if we're not on mission, we are going out and training. Yeah. Oftentimes. In the police departments, you do 40 hours of training and then you go into the New York and City you're police unleashed department. Into yeah. the wild and arguably into the, some of the most difficult. Uh, like Stress as environments. Yeah. As a security practitioner, being uh, amidst the population that you are, uh, you know, that that is that is an incredibly difficult position to be in. It's actually really easy to just. No, soldiers that are not executing kind of like fine grain counterinsurgency, but soldiers that are just in gunfights, that's kind of a relatively easy thing to do because you don't have to interact and humanize and empathize and discern threats and like, honestly, just try not to kill people. Being, a, I have an immense amount of respect for police. I think they put themselves um, in very, very dangerous positions. And I think that as a function of, you know, what you were talking about in terms of defund the police, uh, and the and the and the uh, throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I think that they're being put in increasingly difficult positions, and they are not feeling the support that I think that uh, you know that our public servants should feel. I, I agree, and it's hard. Like, how do you, how do you, as a society, uh, weigh the like support the blue versus like a cab and like like have people come like all right, like we need protection. <laughs> But we need uh, to do it need, intelligently yes, and respectfully. Like, and yeah, exactly. And the well, and it's funny that like 
there's the ACAP and there's the, you know, the blue stripe American flag. What's the answer to that? It's just in the middle. Yeah. It's just moderation. It's just a common sense approach to empathizing with someone that's on the other side that is like, dude, go walk through Southside Chicago. I, d- I don't, I, I wouldn't recommend it. I've, I've never it. done it. I've done but this, this seems kind of scary. Cash App supports Owls Lacrosse. Owl Reach with Lacrosse and Schools in that's Chicago. Owls Lacrosse. Owls. <laughs> and... I mean, that's what I did in college. Like I went to a Jesuit high school and we had to do community service. When I got to college, I was like, I want to keep doing this. And then I could do it via lacrosse in Chicago. Went to the West side, predominantly the West side, mm-hmm. like Palmdale, like West of the United Center. Uh, but we went to the South side a lot too. And they're not fun neighborhoods. Man. No, no. By the way, this is going to be a complete, uh, complete segue. You, did you play lacrosse? Yeah. At what, uh, in high school? In high school. Well, actually, it was funny. I wanted to bring this up. Uh, the summer camp I went to was at West Point. So okay. I, used to, I used to sleep in the West Point barracks uh, every July, which was fucking hell. Which was not a super fun time. They don't have air sleeping. conditioning nope. in the West Point barracks. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they do not, I can confirm. Um, so I was, so I got to, uh, I left the Ranger Regiment, went to, I was supposed to, I went to the West Point prep school. So it's where they, uh, you know, there was a variety of reasons that I had to do that get to the prep school and they're like, you got to play a sport. <clears throat> like every cadet at West Point has to play a sport. And whether it's intramural intramurals or you're, you're recruited for D one, everyone's got to play a sport. And I grew up, um, I grew up skiing, snowboarding, uh, you know, mountain biking. And then my thing was like racing motocross. Like my, you know, most of my, most of my time was spent racing motocross. And so I never played, like, I think I played football in like seventh grade. Uh, but after that ball sports, team sports, not my thing. Fast forward and they're like, yeah, I play sport. And I'm like, well, shit. I mean, you got a shooting team or something. I don't know. Uh, and they're like, no, we don't. Um, so I was going to go box my, my roommate, John Burke, uh, who's still one of my best friends, you know, 10, however many years later, um, Long Island guy, uh, big old chin. And he's like, yo, bro, you ever heard of lacrosse? <laughs> strong Island. Strong Island. Yo, and you go to St. Anthony's? By he went to St. Anthony's. Yeah, he went to St. Anthony's. He fucking went to St. Anthony's. <laughs> Fuck Chaminade, right? And uh, so I'm like, what is lacrosse? And he's like, um, it's always he's the like, fun sport you'll ever play. He's like, life. hey man, like you, uh, you throw a ball around with these long sticks and like you, you can hit people with them. And I was like, all right, that makes sense. So I like picked up lacrosse as a 23 year old um, and I was awful at it the whole time, but I did make all my best friends of lacrosse players. They were all, they were all recruited. So the secret of West Point is the prep school is for dumb athletes to get into West Point, which is awesome because dumb athletes also make some of the best military officers. Um, so I go and I try and he teaches me how to play lacrosse. I never get any good at it. I try out uh, freshman year of West Point and the coach is like, that's cute, man. Um, but you know, you got pretty good grades and, uh, you know, we'd love to have you on the team for other reasons. So come be the student assistant coach. And so all of my best friends are lacrosse players. And I spent four years on the West Point lacrosse team warming up goalies, which by like, uh, it's a fun activity. It's amazing. And I've like broken people's bones and they've have forgiven me. I think most of them have forgiven me because I'm not a great, like top, top left, like ripping top Chad, not really like the accuracy is not my strong suit, but I can put some power behind it. See, I became a coach in my later years because I had too many concussions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to quit playing after my freshman year in college. What position did you play? I was a long stick midi. 
Okay, um, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask, did you get put at D-Midi? That's usually what happens if like you get thrown on lacrosse. Uh, team, get so I was a close, I was a close defenseman. Okay. Um, and that, yeah, I mean, that was, and honestly, like I started, uh, I should have gone in at D-Midi, but when I started playing lacrosse, I had a shattered ankle. Well, so you don't want to move that much. So I, yeah, I didn't really want to, uh, there was not a lot of cutting going on in, in my, uh, in my world, but yeah, lacrosse is cool. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, yeah, I was warming up the goalies. I got a concussion my freshman year. I played club in college. I did the opportunity to go D one humble brag, uh, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, Hell yeah, I could go to like Lafayette or Lehigh, or I can go to Chicago. Oh, dude, you'd have been in our, you'd have been in the Patriot League. Yeah, man. yeah, and I was like, you know, I'm gonna go to Chicago, and I uh, went to DePaul. Got my mm. concussion my freshman year. I was like, you know, this is a slapdick club team. I'm gonna coach. So I coached the team. Nice. We made it to the national tournament by my senior year, which was pretty proud of love that uh but yeah no i did a lot of goalie warm-ups uh and got really good at warming up goalies it's a fun it's a fun activity. it is a fun activity very low threat too it's like very asymmetric yeah. you're just ripping shots at people <laughs> freaks fastest growing sport in the nation if you're in the united states pick it up teach your son teach your son lacrosse you have to think you have to be able to think you have to communicate yes. Lacrosse is great for many reasons it's like soccer and basketball combined mm -hmm. and hockey a little bit. You got to be able to communicate. You got to be able to run. Uh, you got to think strategically. Think, yep. Think strategically. The yes. sub box. So my like job Ooh, was running subbing. the box. That's yep. not, I ran, uh, I ran the box fun. and, uh, and coach Alberici, if you're listening, which I almost guarantee he's not, but, um, you know, thanks for trusting me enough to run the box and sorry for a couple of those times when, uh, things might not have gone to plan. No, running the, so running, running the box is a whole thing. It's a, yeah. We're not going to get into it. Nope. Yeah, I derailed us. Away, by the way, yeah, sorry about that. But I just had to bring up the lax thing because I was curious. I feel like there's a there's a high percentage of lacrosse players that are Bitcoiners as well. Coincidence? I don't know. High IQ, you know. It's, know. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Uh, so let's talk about Luxor because yeah. I think what you guys are doing is very interesting. Where we... I mean, you guys, I think, took advantage and tried to be a value add during the Chinese migration in a very interesting way. What was that experience like? Because you were very much involved it was with that. Crazy. Yeah. It was cool. It was um, so May. Uh, yeah, I mean, May twenty first, um, the ban was announced, and uh, I was nine maybe 10 days away from actually officially starting. Like my official start date was uh, actually it was Bitcoin 2021. Um, but I had, but you know, I was on ramping with Ethan uh, starting kind of late April, I think is when it started. And um, so that evening, May 20, the evening of May 21st, we started receiving inbound calls. Um, you know, Ethan's, as you know, just incredibly well connected throughout the industry. And we just started receiving this flood of, of inbounds of these like, um, you know, very concerned Chinese miners that were trying to move very quickly away from, uh, you know, where they had just had, you know, been rug pulled. It was a cool, it was a cool experience. Like we tried to help, you know, we, we, we picked, uh, I think we picked some of some really good partners. We tried to help folks, um, you know, find homes and it really, it was a crash course for me. You know, we, as a pool, we're kind of like a natural coordination point for the industry. Like we touch a lot of the different, uh, the different verticals and, and, um, you know, in the way that you can kind of build down and in as a, as a, as an actual miner and you don't really have to, you know, it's not as critical for you to be as plugged in around, uh, around the industry and around the network pools really have to be 
plugged in and aware of everything that's going on. Um, and it gives us a lot of reach and it gives us a lot of connections. And so we tried to use those connections to help good, you know, good Chinese miners find homes, uh, you know, after they had been kicked out. And I think it's, it bears mentioning too, like, we really respect what the Chinese mining community did for the Bitcoin network for years and years and years of security. And, and you know, I think that goes on. I think that's, that's unheralded. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, if we're being objective, the most innovative and entrepreneurial and capitalistic section of the Bitcoin industry at large yep. to date has been the Chinese mining industry. Freaks. What kind of miners do you use? <sighs> that answers the whole question right there. Exactly. And it, but, like not only do they have the ASICs, they've figured out the business models. They yep. figured out like how to run scrappy uh, operations at scale. That was actually one of the biggest learning uh, learnings for me during the Chinese migration is how much they can get away with from like an electrical Dude. infrastructure perspective. Well, they're like, they're talking to us. They're like, what how, do we need to do? Like, and how fast they can build, man. Yeah. The expectations on timelines were fascinating. Honestly, the whole thing was, uh, you know, the whole thing was interesting to see the way that they do business, the business models that they're used to. The first time that I tried to explain ERCOT to, uh, to one of our Chinese partners, he was like, sorry, like, just tell me the power costs on a per kilowatt hour basis. I, I really don't care about any of this other stuff. You know, they're very, they're very, Used to very kind of like, and it's, I respect it. It's like simplistic. It's like you go, you plug in at the Theo Gorges Dam, you pay, you know, X cents a kilowatt hour. And then when it's the dry season, you move back and everyone kind of understands what's going on. And the, and they're, they're thrown into this like milieu of um, all red different, tape. yeah, red tape, different types of PPAs, deregulated energy markets, power hedging, uh, you know, TDSP charges. Like you look at a, you look at like ERCOT, like a, like a table of forward prices on ERCOT and there's like 10 different actual charges that go into your total charge. And then you got to net out demand response. And these poor guys are looking at this huge language barrier and going, just, uh, just, just give me a power cost. I'll, I'll like, pay six yeah. cents. I'll pay six cents. <laughs> <laughs> I give up. I give up. Yeah. But I'll pay six cents, but I want it built tomorrow. Yes. That's Well, that's, they can spit. That's what mm -hmm. Westerners don't really, like they could, they're used to being able to spin up like a 10 megawatt facility in like three weeks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was, I think a big, uh, a big learning point, but yeah, I mean, Luxor, Luxor really stepped up at the, uh, you know, with, with Ethan kind of at the helm and getting fed these, uh, you know, these Chinese miners really stepped up and tried to help coordinate this. And I mean, all of them were doing it. Ed over at Slush was doing this a lot. Like, I think you were a part of this. I think you and I were on a call with some random yeah. dude like that, that, uh, you know, I think all of the people that are well connected in the industry were trying to help out. Um, and there's a, there's certainly an economic incentive to this as well. Like this is not charity work, um, but it is also kind of helping out the brethren from the East that have been securing the network for years and years. And it's like, all right, guys, like to the extent that you are going to kind of operate with at least nominally within our, within our rules, we're going to open up our, you know, we're going to be open armed with you. Um, and that's, What's been hilarious to watch all the no coiners and skeptics and Chinese government's going to take over mining is like, you've actually never talked to a Chinese miner, have you? They're some of the most, again, capitalistic, entrepreneurial yes. people I've ever met in my yes. life. Yes. And, yes. And savvy. Yeah. And like, and they and don't like what's savvy. going on over there. Yep. Like that, that's, uh, we've said this many times on this podcast before, but you have to separate the CCP from the Chinese yep, people. The like, Chinese it, it's very important. Certainly right? Chinese miners. No, yeah. I think... I really, I mean, we've built a team over in China now uh, to to uh, support our ASIC trading desk, and and um, you know, I had I just have a, a deep amount of respect for them, and I enjoy working with them. And there are there are some business culture differences, um, 
that are, you know, it just takes kind of learning. Like I've, you know, I'm one of our, uh, one of our partners that I'm cruising around Texas with this week is, uh, is originally from China and he's kind of helping us to understand. And he's like, look, man, like they're very private people. Like when you're in a business meeting, don't ask them about personal stuff. Like don't ask them about their kids. Don't ask them about this and that. And it's like that, you know, those are the types of um, you know, those are the types of nuances now. Like, like, we right, here talk. in America, it's how you started me. Yeah, it's like, like hey, kids doing? you know, like, are they playing sports? How's everything with COVID? Like, how's your wife? Whatever. And that's just like being cordial and kind of getting a feel for someone. But for them, it's not, uh, you know, it's not that way. And I think the other thing to talk more specifically about some of the, the issues that we're seeing right now is it's um, norms around like how do contract negotiations work and like how does how does deal making work and at what phase are you at what phase have you made the deal and then you're just moving out and at what phase is the negotiation still happening and I think that there's some disconnect in terms of you know we think of like uh, you know term sheet LOI diligence definitive agreements like after the term sheet you stop kind of neg- you don't negotiate major material items that's just a continuing conversation for them. And it's not right or wrong. It's just different. But I think that that has created some significant challenges as they've, as they've, you know, gotten deeper into a lot of these deals that they're trying to do. Yeah. Which it's fascinating. Like, and that's, the, that's the thing I wonder going through all this, like does again, Bitcoin being that stability, you, know, you talk about like the difference between East and West. Will there be like, do you see like a blending that's, of like a level? Or, all right, we'll meet in the middle. And this is a global network and we're going to want to hash rate geographically distributed all over. So we need to figure out a way in which we can fucking make deals happen more efficiently. That's a fascinating thing. And I, and I, I think if you extrapolate from that, like, is it going to be, uh, you know, an impetus for some kind of like cultural uh, understanding and awareness? I think it will. Um, you know, again, like these, I think these lessons are being learned. I think a lot of them are being learned uh, on, on both sides. Uh, but particularly the Chinese side, like they're just, they're getting savvy with American business culture and they're going to assimilate and they're going to operate. And, and I think also Americans are becoming savvy, um, you know, or at least a little bit more informed uh, with Chinese business culture and are making accommodations. I mean, you, you learn that very uh, acutely with the ASIC proc- uh, <laughs> procurement process. <laughs> that's a fun, uh, that's a whole other podcast in itself. That's a really fun. It that, is. I love it actually. No. It's, it's. It's very, it's very cool. It's very raw capitalism. Yeah. It is very high adventure. Um, <laughs> until we figure out a way of uh, of bringing in some some reasonable escrow teams to uh, to facilitate some of these transactions, it's like uh, a little bit puckering when you when you shoot <laughs> off uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars or, to a yeah, bank account in Hong Kong. Shoot off seven figures in stable coins, <laughs> and you're like, oh, hope they uh, hope they deliver. Um, no, yeah, my experience, they have. Yeah, 100%. We uh, we have a 100% track record of uh, we have never had a supplier cut and run. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a testament, by the way, to uh, the Chinese ASIC suppliers. Like they they operate. I mean, this is kind of the, this is the, you know, another aspect of game theory and Bitcoin, but we're playing repeat games. We are not, th- these are not discrete one-off games. Like these are repeat games and reputations are everything. Yes. And that, I think that's throughout... That's throughout the whole industry. It doesn't matter what we're talking about, but particularly as it relates to, uh, uh, you know, ASIC brokerage and and reselling, like these miners make a living off of their reputation because there's no other way to verify. There's no way, we have no legal recourse in China. You know, what? The, 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 there's no way of fully mitigating that risk to a level that it would be investable by any modern standards. 
Um, and so these resellers have figured out, like, I got to deliver, I got to deliver and, uh, consistently. And we're still at a point where the more, the industry is so small that word would spread like wildfire. Oh, be like, we, we would all know. I mean, something happens, you know, 12 hours ago and you and I would both be getting telegram messages simultaneously that like, yeah. Hey man, watch out for these books. Yeah. And that, and everyone knows that. And I think that that's, that's a huge kind of structuring mechanism right now that's holding this industry together and it's only getting stronger. Yeah. It is. It's, it's, that's what's going to be interesting to see as more players get in. Like uh, again, I think it's going to increase the the caliber of services offered by all players. Like so, Bitmain and MicroBT, obviously, like uh, they're a duopoly essentially. Obviously, you have Canon and Minerva and all that, but Bitmain yeah. and MicroBT are the only ones for now anybody's yeah. playing with. If Intel can come in and yeah. actually provide something. If Harry is on, if Harry does a twenty five percent allocation into Intel, I'm like, all right, cool, yeah, I yeah, trust it. Yeah, if Grid actually buys yeah. a quarter of that allocation, yeah. then, then then things get interesting, yeah. like in a in a cool way, like yeah. where uh, everybody's forced to increase the the quality of their ASIC, which is good for everybody. Like this competition should decrease prices for more individuals to be able to get into this market, which should further yep. distribute the that geographic distribution and more importantly the ownership of hash rate uh, which, it will also professionalize it if intel comes in in a big way um it will professionalize the industry in a way that like we think we've seen an institutional wall of money coming in now you haven't seen anything it, it is going to get rowdy when you can actually sign proper contracts and have full recourse um because that's one thing good. that's one thing i don't think most people outside looking into the mining industry don't realize like Bitmain and MicroBT at TSMC and Samsung respectively are at the low end of the totem pole and they're like begging like please mm -hmm. please give us foundry mm -hmm. space where Intel could just walk in and be like yep we need 10x what they have and they'll be like all right here yep like, yep no it'd be it'd be and I'm, and I'm bullish on the new foundry capacity coming on I'm bullish on the decentralization I heard you and uh one of the freaks uh kind of listed off all the foundry locations for Intel in the US. Um, you know, everything that's going on in the Taiwan Strait right now is a little bit iffy. Like the amount of foundries that TSMC has on the Taiwan, uh, you know, mainland is a little bit scary given current geopolitical tensions. Um, but, you know, welcome to Arizona. We're happy to have you in Arizona. Dude, TSMC. have you seen there? It's, I live in Arizona and uh, I just like drove by on the freeway. It's like right next to I 17. I haven't seen it. So you can, you can confirm the ground has been broken. Oh, it's been shattered for like months. <laughs> yeah, no, they're like laying, there's, there's like probably 50, eh, not 50. There's probably, there's probably like 12 cranes, um, just hovering around. Like it is, it is a, a monstrosity of a project, but it's also like, I'm driving up there with my girlfriend to go to Sedona with my parents over Thanksgiving and all. I was like, it's a, that, that, that's what's going to help decentralize the Bitcoin network right there. It's going to, it's, it's going to be great. And they're like, Oh, for the love of God, just shut, shut up the fuck up please, for 10 minutes. <laughs> we're going to Sedona. <laughs> we're going to go get massages. Just shut the fuck up. We're going to the vortexes and red rocks. And God damn. Uh, I'm not playing golf with you anymore. <laughs> God, now are you're you going to talk about you a golfer. That. I'm a shit golfer, but, but, but yes, you do, do enjoy, enjoy the activity. Yes. So I'm moving to Pinehurst. Uh, oh, what? Yeah. North so, Carolina? Yeah. I'm moving there in the, the beginning of February. My my girlfriend um, is a JAG attorney there. She's still in the military at Fort Bragg. And uh, so we're we're uh, officially going to be country club members. Like it's Ooh. very, yeah, we're doing the whole thing. At so, Pinehurst? 
At Pine, well, no, so not I'm a Midland South and um, Talamore is the country clubs, but okay. I can like you know I'm in the cheap seats. Pinehurst is the kind of I'm uh, a pleb golfer, I guess is what I would say. Uh, connected to the Barstool crew, it's very uh, well known that Riggs, who's uh, one of the hosts of the Four Play Pod, is a big Pinehurst guy. The the, the club with four courses. Uh, All right, well, I'll try to answer. I don't know if you'd answer any of my. Uh, my DMs or messages now. I don't really care about golfing with him, but if you want to come down and golf, let's get after I'll it. I'll golf. I'm, hey, as a Carolina boy at heart, uh, I lived in South Carolina for... Oh, nice. I didn't know that. For quite a while. Um, not quite a while, like five years, but... Uh, Carolinas are... I good. fucking love the Carolinas. Low country, Charleston area. Shout out to Charleston. Yeah. Um, and also kind of a, a weird Bitcoin mining hotspot too. Yeah, Spartansburg. Shout out to Greenwich, getting down to Spartansburg and to their nuclear facility down there. Yep. Yep. There's some cool stuff going on. Uh, what's, uh, I always forget his actual name. It's just going, or it's Parabolic Guy. Uh, Trev? Anyway. Oh, Jason Williams. Yeah, yeah. So he's, there's a, I think he and Pomper somehow in, invested in or uh, involved in, uh, thermal demanufacturing. So it's basically taking the 300 million waste tires that the United States produces yeah. every day or every year and turning them into solid liquid waste. And then you can actually power generation assets off of uh, this, the liquid and, and uh, gaseous waste. Yeah, if you go back to- That's in North Carolina, by the way. If you go back, that's where Jason's from, right? I don't know. I don't know I him. I actually went to the site. I have no idea. You know, I don't know what the relationship is. Pump? Before he started- his, his massive podcast. He was on this podcast. Like, I think it was episode, like first 20 episodes. I'm pretty positive. He was explaining nice. this back then. I was like, well, this is pretty cool. But nice. Like, back in 2017, 2018, before mining was cool, got to get props for props or do. Pomp was, and Jason were, were mining off of burnt tires, which is. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen the, have you seen like I've only technology? seen, I've, I've seen videos of it. It's. And, Really cool. It's also incredibly capital intensive. Yeah. Like the build out, like they have, they have the ability to expand to like 300 some odd sites around the, around the country, but it would be like billions and billions of dollars yeah. per site. And there's like a megawatt cap per site and all that, but it's real, but it's just like, you can mine Bitcoin with uh, methane from pig shit, from landfills, from flared gas. Uh, you know, the amount of applications of capturing otherwise brutally wasted energy um, that Bitcoin enables is just astonishing. And, it, you know, tires is just the start of it. Yeah, tire. Like, you're going <laughs> to... It's crazy. It's going to be insane. I mean, yeah. it already is insane. Like, we are going to be the most energy efficient society that humanity has ever produced if we allow it. That's my biggest worry. Yeah, that's we right. Don't that, that get, yeah, that's right. That gets back to our our kind of earlier thread of the conversation is we have to we have to protect we have to protect Bitcoin as a technology as an idea um, to allow it to just continue to flourish in the way that will natu will naturally flourish, uh, but it's not going to happen unaided, and it's not just people putting their heads down. And like, I'm just going to build. And like, we need people that are just going to build, but we also need people that are going to see the broader field and be able to help protect that by, you know, shaping the narrative, by educating people, by advocating. Um, and I, and I a hundred percent agree. The biggest risk vector is not that Bitcoin, Bitcoin will achieve its full potential if we nurture it and allow it to. Yeah. I mean, the facilities are all there. The yep. potential is all there. The, yep. like it, it was provable too. Like this can happen. It's like, will we allow it to happen? Yep. Like that is the number one thing. And, and this is a human 
like, humanity, like, our whole society, 8 billion people on this whole planet can benefit from this. And what really, again, gets back to like a deep anger and frustration with the current state of society. There's very, 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 very few people on earth that have control of the levers that can yes. fuck it up. And they seem yep. keen. Bent on doing it. Yes. it's And so... Yep. But I mean, we're do, but we're doing like the things that we need to be doing, like the the movement towards decentralization. That's not just a crypto thing. Like that is a that's a thing that's just happening, and we're doing it as a society. Sometimes through necessity, sometimes through uh, you know agency. Um, you know, we are. I think that there are a lot of trends that are moving in the right direction that are going to be accretive to Bitcoin without even being directly related to it. Um, and, that, and I think that that level of optimism that I just uh, displayed was not, would not be possible before this. But I really am looking at this and I'm like, <clears throat> people are losing, like this, the very, 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 very small amount of people that have the control over the levers of how the world is organized are becoming delegitimized in yes. the eyes of the people that are enabling them to remain in power. It's only going to, it's, it's only going to be so long before, you know, they are fully exposed and, uh, you know, if we have decentralized and open sourced our decision-making like the, the movements towards decentralization and open sourcing, I think are two of the most important political movements of our time. They're not technological <laughs> movements. They're political movements. They're political and they're social too. Cause what you realize is those very, 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 very few people have controlled the levers. Those levers actually don't control you if you don't let them. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. That's the thing. It's like, you just, if unbolt you don't, them, you unbolt yeah, them. You're the, like, the, you know what? Yeah. Get the fuck away from me. I'm yeah. not going to listen. I mean, that's anymore. what Bitcoin is too. Like, like that is literally the, <laughs> miss me with that you, shit, man. Yeah. Like, all right. You can keep screaming over here and shitting your pants, Mr. Biden, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I am uh I'm going to go this way. Like you have, that's it. like people, like I wrote this email today. A journalist reached out. I don't know. I'm sorry if this is a poor form for like blowing up my response to the email. He's like, I'm writing a piece on the people in the crypto industry uh, complying with financial action task force rules. Ooh, FATF. Let's talk about FATF. And I went into like, this is an unelected, uh, supranational institution that nobody voted for number one, number two, nobody asked for, like nobody's asking for this. And yet they have like perceived control over the, the ability of businesses and individuals to move money throughout the world. They're like, just say no, like, just they're like, no, I'm not following this. Who voted for these people? Who asked for these people? Who are these people? Like, yep. fuck off. Like, yep. and Bitcoin allows you to say that, like, there's nothing you can do. If you're running a full node, if you have, control of your private keys and you're able to broadcast a transaction, you don't need to follow FATF guidelines, yep. nor should you, because they're completely asinine and they're ineffective and they're not really meant to actually prevent crime. They're meant to control people. And this has been proven out since the Bank Secrecy Act, which mm -hmm. basically spawned <laughs> this, this ability of this Orwellian encroachment on civil liberties and data collection. Uh, they do not protect people from financial criminal activity. People well, are going to launder money. People are going to steal your identity. People are going to do their financial crimes. And yep. yet they keep doubling, tripling, quadrupling down on these data policies that just make it more inefficient to move money and less secure for, for data security. I mean, yep. We just got to get to a point where it's like, shut the fuck up. Who are you? Like, stop giving these guidelines to our governments to 
have these third parties collect more data yep. and then secure it insecurely. Like, what, what was your reaction to the Snowden revelations? I mean, is, I mean, I asked, there's a reason I asked that. I mean, uh, like, what the fuck? Like, it's just like <laughs> said that anger, succinctly. That anger I <laughs> that anger I felt at seventeen reading Tarp. Yeah. It was just like compounded there. It's yeah. like all right, they're spying and taking everything, and then Comple again, completely extra legally, yeah. gaslighting too. Mm -hmm. ah, mm -hmm. ah. For your security, CNN. Let's have a CIA analyst James Clapper on the dude who went and perjured himself in front of Congress. He literally fucking lied. He perjured himself. And nothing happened. That's yeah. there, there is not justice in this world. Like these people do not care about you. It's not for your safety. It's for your the control over you. And you can just the, the receipts are there. You can go look at the receipts. Yeah. James Clapper went in front of Congress and said, "We are not collecting data. We're not dragnet taking all this data and storing it in NSA databases." And Edward Snowden said, "Well, actually, interesting. Here's evidence evidence that you are." Yeah. And nothing happened. Dude is still incontrovertible, <laughs> and all yeah, incontrovertible. Yeah, no, it was it's uh, it was it that's type that's type of stuff. Like you combine that, you read. Uh, there's a book called Surveillance Capitalism, um, which is just an unbelievably dense book. So just read the Spark Notes, you'll get it. But it is a terrifying uh, insider's look at like what you know the Fang, if you will are doing to compromise your privacy and to enable, this is the scary part, to enable uh, mass government surveillance and control using our data against us. And it's like, everyone's kind of complaining like, well, I really like Siri and all that stuff and, and uh, I'd have nothing to hide. And, you know, it's fine. We have institutional guardrails against this stuff, but like if you put a system in place, eventually there's gonna be someone that gets their hands on it that's gonna use it for malintent. And that's no, no one sees. And, and we're just, we're just, kind of blindly walking into a scenario where we've essentially seeded all of our agency and all of our information. And we're kind of just living in this fucking, I mean, we might as well be in a, in a uh, I think the word of the podcast is malaise. It's just like this, this weird. Like, <laughs> don't, don't, don't put malaise next to mine. Let's make this like Luxor, you know, is a great mining company or something. No, that, that, that is all true. That is all true. But like, no, I think, well, this is no, people are going to respect Luxor for having these hard conversations. Uh, yeah, it's true. It, it is true, though. I mean, it, but that's again like going back to why I joined Luxor. Um, you know, there's a there is an attraction to this industry because we are fixing the malaise, and like everyone needs to realize that. And bear market, bull market, it doesn't matter. Like this technology, and and you know, Bitcoin as a technology, as a as an idea, as a political. Uh, force like it, we should not mistake. And I mean, I know you understand this, but like Bitcoin is very, very political, yeah. um, and it's something really important. We're gonna get our freedom. It's political in the sense that we get to fucking ignore the politicians and just like God, ah, we so can't ignore them. We got to engage them because they still do. Yes, we have to ship, but you know. We'll, agree, there are some people that will do that, but it, we we do have to engage them. We have to educate. No, them. I engage, and I uh, the whole subcommittee meeting I myself was calling AIDS and talking to AIDS yeah. and educating them on that. Like it's, I agree. But like, Which people like you, by the way, that like have a deep understanding of this stuff on a technical, you, you understand it in a way that is uh, kind of multifaceted. You're not just a programmer. You're not just a miner. You're not just a content producer. Like you've kind of dabbled. Um, you are some of the most important people 
to be going out and having those one-on-one conversations, um, which, and that, that like political movement is gaining traction, it's becoming more organized. And it, like, it requires people who are, you know, gifted orators and gifted writers to be able to go and, and just like, honestly, it's not, it's just like influencers. And I don't mean that at like influencers <laughs> in the wild, shaking their asses on the beach, getting clobbered by waves, but like influencers as in people who are influential, um, they, we, we, we all need to be engaging as much as you possibly can, whether it's mom and dad and, and aunt and uncle, or if it's your local, you know, a West pointer that, uh, that is running for Congress just hit me on LinkedIn, on LinkedIn for support. And I don't think he knew what I did. And I was like, sure. Yeah, absolutely, man. I'll talk to you, but I'm only going to talk to you about Bitcoin and why it's so important. Awesome. Let's, let's have a conversation and, you know, hopefully he, you know, hopefully he understands it. Well, it's weird. I mean, uh, I don't, I don't see myself as an influencer. Uh, people will thrust that <laughs> on me. But I'm just some dude behind a mic. I'm just some idiot writing and talking about all this shit. Uh, thank you for your kind words, but like, is, I'm an idiot. Like I'm fucking uh, Neanderthal. Yeah, I mean we all like, we all are, but but it's but at the same time, like it is, I, and I appreciate the. It's just clear you love to just sit up here and bullshit, which is a fucking awesome thing. Like Joe Rogan just loves to sit up there and bullshit with interesting people. That's awesome. And you found a way of distributing that in a way that is incredibly valuable. Um, And like much like, you know, we, most of my life I like to spend in t-shirts and uh, like, you know, it's it's a liberating thing. I was wearing the same exact t-shirt yesterday. I was like, thank you. Army. It's, it's a, Great. Yeah, I that's fire. I'm Lulu pilled. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. But it's, but we, we, you know, we do this stuff. Uh, we're a little rough around the edges, um, you know, which is nice to be in a, in an industry where I can let my, you know, I can blossom a little bit in that regard, uh, being in the military for so long. But at, there's, at a certain point, like we all need to put our big boy pants on and go up to Capitol Hill and, and go to wall street and start educating the capital and, uh, regulatory allocators. Um, in a way that uh, is, is I'm heartened to see is happening in increasingly. I think that stuff like the TBC, mm-hmm. incredibly important. Um, you know, all of the, 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 the political machinery is ramping up right now. And a lot of it is truly just educational. Like we just need to open people's eyes. It's not about convincing people that cigarettes don't, you know, don't cause cancer. We're not being disingenuous. We just need people to understand. Yeah. That's it. Make- that maybe you don't even need to understand that like how Bitcoin works, the economic incentives, how it touches energy. Just understand that it's pretty big. There's an opportunity here and you don't want to squash it early on for your citizens. You don't want to allow mm. the constituents that you're representing, you don't want to, excuse me, not allow them, but not allow them to flourish in ways in which they could if they're just allowed to experiment with this stuff and build on this stuff. Like, yep. just don't fuck it up. And that's, for me, thinking about all this stuff too, especially if you get into the history of empires and it seems like we're at, maybe we could be at an inflection point that is the end of the American empire. Maybe it happened. Like, is this a way to throw a wrench in that, that wheel of history that allows us to sort of fix ourselves as we're falling and, and rebuild ourselves in a way? That's what my great hope right now is like, hey, it's pretty obvious that things are crumbling. $30 trillion in debt division, depression, deaths, unhealthiness at all time highs. Yep. What if there was a silver bullet, not a silver bullet, but 
a great hope that could begin to turn the tides back towards uh, a, a greater society. And I think Bitcoin is that great hope, at least it is in my mind, and why I've dedicated myself to all of this. Yes. No, and I, and I think that um, it's funny that you talk about kind of arresting the the decline and, and allowing America to come back. Um, Dalio makes a point that, I hope he's listening to this and like wants to- Ray, Ray, hey, Ray, if you're listening. Hey. <laughs> Uh, but it's, but I, I mean, it's a good book, man. It's a good book. He's a good thinker. And I agree. You know, he talks about the idea that, you know, the Romans, they, they had their kind of cycle and they fell and they never found their ability, you know, they never found the ability to get back to greatness. Uh, he does mention that the Chinese have done it a couple of times. And I think that that's an interesting point. It is interesting though. Like if we think about <clears throat> what has led us, um, to this point, uh, in our own in our own cycle, in our own kind of geopolitical and internal political cycle, a lot of it, I think, has been associated with um, soft money that can be debased, and that you can't, you know, you can't plan on long term time horizons. Like I think that, you know, someone smarter than me could probably play a place a or, or make a legitimate case to tie together, uh, you know, a, a, a monetary regime that is based on currency debasement at a kind of an exponential level to short-term political thinking, right? Like the, to the fact that we can't think past the next midterms, uh, wow. you know, publicly traded companies can't think past the next quarterly earning statements, like these things. And I'm, you know, I'm being hyperbolic to, to a certain extent, but like, it's not, it's not too far of a stretch. We can look at headlines today. Yeah. Who's that chief justice is like, all right, I'm retiring. I'm out. All the, all the things were like, all right what's going on in the yeah. terms and yeah. who we're going to replace them with. Yep. Like, well, and I mean, I think like that this kind of comes from my, my um, previous life as an academic and a, and a military guy, like we can't think past, we, we cannot uh, sustain stable uh, foreign policies across administrations anymore. Uh, that's incredibly damaging. It's why we're experiencing all of the global insecurity that we're experiencing right now, or one of the major driving reasons for it, because for a long time, the America was the guarantor of global stability. But when people can't believe, like one of the primary drivers of, uh, you know, of whether someone believes in your legitimacy or not is whether you're predictable. It's not the only one, but can I predict what this person is going to do epoch to epoch? Um, and, you know, we're getting, to, and, and if we can, if, if Bitcoin enables, if hard money enables, um, and it's not just hard money, but it's hard, audible, um, you know, uh, un uncensorable, can enable us to transition to a new set of uh, kind of rules for how we organize ourselves and operate in the world, it really could arrest our decline. And America, like, dude, I'm so bull, I'm so, uh, I'm in love with America. We, <laughs> we are so lucky here. We have so many benefits. And it's clear that, you know, like it's, it's pretty patriotic. Like this is a patriotic, um, you have a patriotic podcast. And like, I think a lot of people would look at it uh, a little bit topically and be like, oh, he's always poo-pooing all of these things that are fundamental to America. And it's like, no, the Fed is not fundamental to America. Uh, you know, short-term political thinking is not fundamental to America. Like think about what the founders were doing when they were framing the constitution. They were thinking hundreds of years in advance, trying to set us on a political path that allowed us to be a sustainable democracy that respects human rights and individual liberties uh, with some, you know, complications there, but um, you know, they're not short-term and uh, you know, we have become short-term uh, thinkers and um, but that's not to say that we don't love America. We are identifying the faults that we have right now that we need to rectify. But d deep down, like 
I'm so bullish on America and I love America and I really want us to fix ourselves. And as Bitcoin can allow us to do that, um, I'm all in on it. I completely agree. I, I, again, people think I'm a doomer. All oh, that dude, shit. me too, man. I'm not a popular guy at cocktail parties anymore. No, but my closest friends. I mean, it's like you have to recognize the problem before you can fix it and then rise from fixing that problem. We're going to win. Like, yep. there's something, no matter, like, yes, America has this problem. Yes, we're uh, crazy. We're chaotic. We're expanding our empire and our military too much and getting sloppy with it. But at the end of the day, there are enough of us who think like this, who understand the fundamentals of what builds a strong society and are willing to fight for it. Like, yep. and yep. I mean, I, I, Alex, I was not expecting this conversation to be as high caliber as this. Ah, fucking, that's I, good. I mean, good rip. That, I mean, I was expecting to be high caliber. I thought we were going to talk about Luxor and like, I'm very happy with how this conversation <laughs> like, we do. I mean, Luxor is the reason why, uh, I'm glad that we had the rip that we did and the direction that it went, but I yeah. do also, I am deeply, deeply grateful to the team at Luxor. It's a fucking great place to work. Uh, if you can, you know, I, I swear just as much on internal team meetings as well. So uh, <laughs> if you can countenance that, but um, you know, I'm just deeply thankful to that team for kind of giving me this opening into this industry. It's, it's been a, it's been a great ride and I'm excited for what's to come. And I can confirm as well, having spoke, uh, Many times and uh, met many times, Nick and Ethan, particularly Ethan. Ethan's a homie. He's a homie. Yeah. He, uh, when I came to visit uh, Austin before, like when we were coming down here to decide if we we're going to move here, Ethan showed up. Uh, my wife, my son, and I. And Ethan shows up with like two bottles of wine. We just listened to yep. Kanye and southern trap music for like three hours uh, did you put some drake on that's kind of did, a standard yeah, yeah. i yeah. mean he's a canadian it's, yeah it's, it's understandable yeah yeah he's a good he's a great he's a great human being he's also a grinder man that that dude very smart very humble nice human being but just grinds yeah i mean there's a lot of grinders in this yes, that's why are. i love yeah. this show it's like you just fucking meet grinders yeah dude, there's not a lot of work it, 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 to the extent that you delineate work and life between like the thing that you do to make money and the thing that you're doing that's not directly contributing to that there's not a lot of life of work-life balance in this industry which is great no but to all of us like there's no separation no. it's like and and god love our significant others and our families because <laughs> they have a lot to put up with but thankfully i think we all have a lot of supportive ones i love you honey i, I have uh, i'm not gonna say uh, i will say the most supportive honey you've put up with a lot of my bullshit and uh late um, nights and you're you're probably <laughs> yeah six texts let's see what she's saying right now all right now i made a resi nice i made a resi nice Okay, she made a resi. We're gonna go get dinner tonight. Uh, Layla's Layla's my uh, Layla's my girlfriend, and she's like she sees there's there's like we've been separated for like three or four months geographically. She's down in, in Fort Bragg, and I'm closing the shop up um, up in Tacoma. And like when she's gone, like I don't have a social life, so I just work all the time. Uh, and I think Ethan's actually kind of dreading when I move back in with Layla because I think my work output's gonna drop a little bit. Sorry, bro. Um, but she's just taken on like all the, you know, all the administrative stuff. Like she helps me move book flights. Like we got two big dogs and oh. she puts them in boarding all the time. It's like, Hey babe, I got to fly out. Like I, I just found out yesterday I got to fly to New York on Monday. And she's like, okay, like, what can I do to help? Uh, you know, you know, whatever. She's like shit posting on Twitter now about crypto and all this stuff. <laughs> it's great. It's, she's like fully, fully embracing it. She's uh yeah, we, 
luck, lucky men have uh, shout strong out, women. Shout out to the Bitcoin yes. women behind the Bitcoin men. Yeah, love, love all y'all. Yes, we do. But particularly my wife. Uh, we had, uh, I'm not going to get too much here. Maybe we're expecting our second. We had our anatomy scan yesterday. Congrats, man. Thank you. And it's great. Go have kids, freaks, if you're if you're in a good relationship with a woman you love yeah. or a man you love. And, uh, it's crazy. See, we had the anatomy scan where you see everything on the baby. We don't know what we're having yet in terms of gender. Are you leaving it as a surprise? Or yeah, you... I come from the Irish Catholic Love that. Lineage. Did you do that for the first one, too? Yeah. Our, nice. our mothers, my mother and my wife's mother, but it's like, it's the best surprise you'll ever have in your life. Like, don't find out. But, uh, <laughs> so we, it's, it's true. Our, our son, like he came out. I was like, it's oh. a dick. There's a boy. Like, <laughs> 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 then my wife was like, I knew it was a boy. It was like, it's fun. It's a great surprise. That's I highly awesome, recommend it. Man. And gender reveal parties are pretty cheesy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but highly like, so no, it's like, fuck man. I love my wife. I guess that's all I'm going to say. I'm getting and congrats on the second one. Thank you. Big deal. Thank you. Second time I've had sex in my life. <laughs> and it went well, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's got a, hundred, a thousand percent batting average right there. Ah, two for two. Alex, that's where we're going to end it on, I guess. Yeah, man. That's You've a got, high point. You, uh, dude, this was fucking fantastic. I can't wait to do it again. Yeah, bro. Um, enjoy your, your meetup tonight. What, what should we tell the freaks before we leave from your perspective? I think just kind of believe in what you believe in and like follow the ideology. Like, and I say that like as someone who studied ideology as a driver of civil conflict, but guess what, man, if you, if you deeply believe in something, um, find a way to go do it. Cause I think that the most important thing that we can find and the thing that is driving a lot of the malaise, which I guess is the headline of this one, uh, in our society is this lack of purpose. And, um, you know, if you think Bitcoin is, uh, it gives your life purpose, like run at it and, uh, you know, call us if you want a job, either one of us, probably. I'm not being rude here because you ended it on that note, fucking wavelengths. Rick Rubin tweeted out today. He doesn't actually tweet words. He tweets pictures of words. Belief carries disproportional energy. Yeah. Yes. Right. Like, like I yes. think that's exactly what you were getting at. There. Yes. Like if you believe it, a fucking go for it, put yes. your energy behind it and, I think you'll be surprised at what happens. If you're pissed off, do something about it. Yeah. Peace and love, freaks.